This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. Okay, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 23. 23. Does it really need any introduction? 23. We're in Chicago. Yep. Yeah, we're in Chicago, number 23. Yeah. I actually have an extra AUA, maybe related to that later, yeah. Bain. Ooh, I like it. Of the Strength Anger podcast. So much strength. Bain, actually, so much anger. I don't know if a lot of strength, but a lot of anger. Bain, let's start with some feedback from last week. Yeah. Uh Generally good. Uh, you know, I had a few folks that were uh, hoping we would have more of like a panel type discussion. Uh, and I'm like, well, just didn't necessarily have everybody that could be there at the same time. But uh, you know, overall, you know, folks agree that you know women's powerlifting is uh, very much on the rise, very much here to stay, and, uh, and that it's a good thing. Yeah, I think uh, the feedback I got, yeah, was that uh, people kind of enjoyed hearing some of the reasoning behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, nice to have a different perspective with Jackie, who's been around quite a while. Mm-hmm. A little bit of text. Yeah, I mean, not that long. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of text uh, feedback from the youngest Bane. <laughs> or, or not the young Bane, not the youngest Bane. No, y- y- yeah, y- younger Bane of the powerlifting Banes. So. Though, give it a couple years, because I'll tell you what, Teeny Tiny is ready to roll. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's got the interest as well. She's if she could lift now alongside her sister, she'd do it. Okay, how old is she? Ella is ten. Okay, so I've got a couple years yet, but exciting stuff. Other than that, Bane, what is going on? Ah, uh, I was in Orlando most of the week. I flew out Sunday. Uh, got six a.m. flight. This is almost my what is bullshit is taking six a.m. flights. It's horrible. Uh, my Sounds as- awful. Yeah, my assistant in the Austin office booked that flight for me because it was, quote-unquote, in compliance with our travel policy, to which I replied, uh, yeah, but it is most definitely not in compliance with my sleep policy, so we need to adjust these moving forward. Because uh, to get out at 6, got to be there at the airport at what, like 5, 4.30? Uh, I, I can get there at, I can get to the airport at 5.15 because I have TSA, and if I don't check a bag, which I didn't check a bag this time, um, that I can get through, you know, pretty quick. And at that time, there was nobody going through TSA. I mean, I literally walked from my Uber straight through. The only pause I had was when I handed them my ID, and then when I walked through the uh, through the thing. So, uh, and then walked all the way to my gate and uh, took a little nap on the plane. And uh, it was an interesting conference. Let's put it that way. I won't go too deep on that, but because uh, I have another platform that I'll be talking more about the conference. But uh, also got to train at Backbone Barbell. Uh, if you remember. Uh, Crazy Ray from Nationals last year. He's a guy with the Mohawk. He was from Florida. Okay, uh, sure. Yeah. Big deadlifter. Yes, yes. So uh, he owns Backbone Barbell, and so I got a chance to go see him. Uh, he had a new strongman implement. It was basically a iron cross. weighs about 240 pounds. Wow. And I uh, I was the person who's walked with it the farthest, uh, at you know, as far as either the members or anybody else. And so I got to name it. I named it Olaf because it likes warm fucking hugs. <laughs> I think it is apparent you'd appreciate that. So, uh, pretty funny video. We just haven't uh, haven't given the green light to post it yet, but it was uh, it, it was tough. I will tell you what. It's you literally have to hug this thing under the the arms, and for somebody five foot eight, this thing is probably five four itself. 
So it is just a very awkward carry. You ever been to Orlando Barbell? I actually have not. As many times as I've been to Orlando, I've probably been there two dozen times the last few years. I've never gone. It's a little bit on the outskirts. I don't mm-hmm. know that it's actually in Orlando proper. So that's part of it. Yeah. And it's in like, it's kind of like the old 2XL. It's in like a kind of like off the beaten path strip mall. Sure. Not very big, um, but uh, cool place, cool yeah. training environment. They've got, you know, the front is kind of machines and cardio in the back is mm-hmm. kind of the power room of, you know, monoliths, deadlift platforms, yeah. everything packed in very tight. I, th- I think, as I recall, it's up on the very north side of Orlando because I did look at going there the first time I went down uh, for work. Um, and actually, Ray's is up in that st- same area as well. I just happened to be over there uh, for this conference. So that's why, I ch- and because I know Ray personally, I decided to go over there. Normally, I train at uh, Iron Religion when I'm down there. It is okay. uh, just a little bit smaller than the new 2XL. Uh, but it's more spread out kind of in the, the strip mall type format. It's basically like three units that have been uh, – sure. the walls have been broken down. Uh, great environment, though. They got a ton of stuff. They got strongman equipment. They got two monos, uh, three deadlift platforms, a ton of machines. Uh, and it's usually within a couple of miles of the hotels I stay at. So it's typically where I train when I'm down there. So, Eric, what is going on with you? Well, we've got a lot going coming up next week, or maybe by the time we post this, the current week. Mm -hmm. We've got the WPO semifinals at the Arnold Classic. The Arnold. Uh, That will be next week, Thursday, Friday. Um, It is, uh, I think it's going to be a good meet, a good show. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, ESPN will not make it. Um, Hashtag sad face. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bummed, but they will be here in Chicago for the Super Finals as part of the WPC World. So they're still on board. Um, it was really just a, a logistical issue that there couldn't be a meeting of the minds. Yeah, I was looking at the layout. Because even I thought about lending my, uh, my expertise to just the, the ergonomics of it. And I, I just, I don't know how they would have done it. I think the problem is they didn't get at this soon enough. Mm-hmm. And I think if they had got at it sooner and realized, hey, this doesn't work... There's the plausibility that if it hadn't been, you know, a month out, yeah. maybe they could have moved the XPC WPO room to somewhere else because there are right. a lot of rooms there. Yep. And they could have maybe moved it somewhere that would have been more, you know, advantageous to having a, a TV truck somewhere nearby. Right. Uh, but ESPN was, they were willing to be there. They just, they couldn't logistically make it work with the, uh, I don't know if it's the Arnold people or if it's the Columbus. I believe it was the Columbus Convention Center, just okay. based on the ergonomics that I saw. It's what it looked like. Sure. So that's, uh, that's a little bit of a bummer, but I think the WPO itself will still be a good show and look forward to seeing the lifters that qualify for the Super Finals mm-hmm. here in Chicago. And, uh, yeah, as of recording this, we are T-minus six days. Yeah, so probably by the time we post this, it'll be uh, pretty close. Yeah, pretty very, close. very exciting. So, Bane, what is bullshit? Oh, boy. So this does play into a bit of the work conference I was at, and that is the fear of technology. Now, I kind of went with a bigger topic for my what is bullshit. So I work in an industry that is, generally speaking, incredibly antiquated. Uh, And when I say that, I mean you're looking at from the technology that is used, I mean, they they typically have – there are companies, huge logistics companies, that still work out of AS400 systems. And if you don't know what an AS400 system is – No idea. It is literally like the old school green writing, black screen, like F12, tab, tab. Like that's how you move around these things. Oh, so you're saying a computer. Yes, yes. A green screen computer? Green screen. Like that's how – and they're not even green screen computers. They're emulators within a Windows application because they can't – operate at the speed needed to actually do business. So instead of upgrading their system, they just keep building 
uh, basically b- building backwards, essentially, wow. to carry their, their data forward. So a little aside is that my dad at one time had a monitor mm-hmm. which could switch between color and green screen because mm-hmm. at that time it was the thought process that green screen was easier on your eyes, which it actually might be for word, yeah. for word processing. But I just that's funny. Like I had this monitor that eventually <laughs> he handed down to my brother and I that we used for playing Super Nintendo. Yes. Um, and it was this old school monitor. It would be funny sometimes to turn the game to green screen just to see what it looked like. Yeah. So. Interesting. So, so what, what led me to be thinking about this is Monday afternoon I sat at, at a lunch at this conference. And this conference has been going on for like 65 years. And, and there are people that have gone to this thing for 40 years straight. So I, I jokingly told Jackie earlier that this is like their spring break. And these guys and gals get it in. And, and that's a whole different story to, to tell people about. But, uh, you know, as we're talking about the future of logistics, you know, one of the big things we're talking about is technology and automation and, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all these very high level concepts that are making their way slowly into logistics. Walking out to lunch, I noticed it looked like a middle school dance, but opposed, as opposed to gender, it was all ages. So you have one side, it was almost everybody 35 and under, and on the other side was everybody 55 and older. All the silverbacks. And if you're 45? There were I, there is a massive gap, by the way, in my industry okay. of people in that, that 35 to 55 range. A lot of people just by attrition just left. A lot of folks are kind of on the way up hoping that they can you know make it into upper management. And then a lot of folks that are in upper management got there in their 40s and then have just stayed. Or they got there very early because the companies were still very young and they've basically been in that same role for 35 years now. Wow. And so what you have is you have a very antiquated thought process as well, along with antiquated technology. And a lot of folks saying, I'm not going to change. I'm, to be frank, I'm too scared to get the ball rolling on a new initiative. I'm just going to ride this into the sunset and let it be somebody else's problem. And most of what we heard in the conversations was people are afraid a robot is going to take their job. Sure. And that is simply in almost every instance in a fluid industry like logistics, it's just not the case. Same thing in medicine, same thing in a lot of others, where the human element is almost always going to be needed. It's just going to evolve. And so that, that, that just, it blew my mind that these very highly paid and supposedly highly intelligent individuals are terrified of this little box in my hand. Sure. That's my cell phone. So Stone, what's bullshit? Fitness, quote, consultants, unquote, on Facebook. <laughs> now, be- Please elaborate. Now, because of the, you know, I mean, Facebook gives you ads that they think are related to what your interests are, which Mm -hmm. that's cool. I mean, I get it. Facebook's, quote, free. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this before. Essentially, the users of Facebook are essentially, yeah, we're the product. We are the product. Oh, yeah. Um, So I get it. But every once in a while, actually, you know, I would say at least once a week, I'll get a Facebook ad of Mm -hmm. some dude that says, here's the top five reasons gym owners are failing. Or how to get 100 new members in your door with zero work in the next seven days. Wrong. It's always some dude, if you click through, that has supposedly started 20 gyms and has members coming out of nowhere and started the gym out of his garage. Yep. It's nobody. I, and, and not that I know everybody in the fitness industry because I don't. And he runs a multi-million dollar, no hassle, you know, right. f- work from anywhere business. Here's the thing. There are people out there like Joe DeFranco who ran his own place. Mm-hmm who decided the grind was no longer worth it, and he went into, he sold his business and went into consulting. If I was going to hire somebody to be my consultant, I would find somebody like him who had a name value and had done it, mm-hmm. not some dude that supposedly ran 
supposedly yeah. ran some, you know, gym out of his, you know, his two bedroom apartment right. and had all kinds of members because I got news for you. If he actually had done that and had made millions, he wouldn't be buying ads on Facebook to for his quote consulting business. Nope. Because there's a lot of people that it's easier to tell somebody else what to do than to actually do it themselves. Those who can't do teach. And I just I, I try I try as much as I can to click and say hi dad and don't show any more ads from this person. Yep. Because I'm so tired of seeing these quote consultants that just blast social media. Uh. And I guarantee that not one of these people I shouldn't say not one of them. Most of them, mm-hmm. 90% of them, have probably never run a gym for longer than three years. So in the same vein as that, what about the high-end fitness consultants? Not gym consultants, like gym owners, but like the personal trainers, the high-end ones that like, oh, hey, here's my program. You find out much later it's a cookie-cutter one, but it's $5,000 or whatever it is for 12 weeks. What, what are your thoughts on those? I mean, they're probably all bullshit because no program is worth that much. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's just like, but if you can get someone to buy it, you know, more power too. Just like these consultants. I'm sure there's people out there paying them and maybe they've got some value from it. Yeah. I, I, you know, they're probably just regurgitating the same data that I've heard at conferences mm-hmm. and that you can pay a couple hundred dollars mm-hmm. and hear from somebody that has name value tell you at, you know, a conference versus, you know, a hundred dollars a week consulting right. or probably more than that, probably a hundred dollars an hour say, consulting. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, but they probably have you know a bunch of people going at once, and they're just like sending them the same thing. Tw- Twenty of those people, and you're talking to once a week. That's two grand a week. Sure, it's hundred thousand dollars. So you may fool some people, but Eric Stone is not those people, right? <laughs> so, uh, Bane, let's move on to Plusa. the, the Plusa Powerlifting yeah. USA Throwback. Um, I was going to grab the Donnie Thompson one That's this that, week, but I, I said nope. We're going to save that one for next week. Yes. But I found a good one to go through this week. We've got December 2007. Okay. What were you doing in December 2007? Hmm. So I believe by that time I would have been working at Velocity Sports Performance. Okay. I don't think by that time I was working at Velo- or at uh, Right Fit. Uh, maybe I was working part-time for Right Fit. But we would have been well into running meets at Velocity. Team Stone would have started by that point. I think okay. we started around so 06-ish. And it was, you know, kind of growing at that point. We probably bought a monolith. We probably bought a competition bench. Nice. Um, we might have bought the the old silver shiny set of kilo plates in the back. Nice. Um, but, yeah, that's what I was doing. Okay. How about yourself, Bane? December 2007. This is a pivotal month in the Bane household. This is the month that I got my first offer in the logistics industry, and I made the transition from working in the restaurant business to working in the logistics. Uh, so big, big month. Uh, Nick would have been pregnant with Nolan at this time. And I was playing soccer. I was probably lifting twice a week, if that. I probably, between 2007 and 2010 was probably what I was my lightest as an adult. I was probably walking around about 210-ish, which I think most people who know me now would be like, there's no, absolutely no way I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing soccer that often though oh yeah i was playing running soccer. around i was playing soccer three to four times a week and i was only training uh you know any weights a couple times a week so uh and then i was generally watching what i ate i was, I was pretty good about that i was we were balling on a budget so i didn't uh you know get as extravagant with my food as i do now uh nor with my with my uh, alcohol consumption so yeah i was uh, i was significantly lighter at that time and how did you transition like how did you i mean because you've got your degree in psychology, mm-hmm. you're working in the restaurant industry, yep. and then you transition to logistics. How does that, 
in a, in a short summation because I'm sure there's a long story. But uh, it's it's actually a really quick one. I came home one night and it was a Friday night. Nick was asleep, so were Austin and Lily. Lily woke up, and all she said to me was, "I miss you. I wish you weren't gone all the time." And went back to sleep, which my travel schedule now basically is back to the same thing. But in my mind, what I realized was, you know, the times when I want to spend time with my family are the times when I'm working. And that was Friday night, Saturday night. This is the busiest time in the restaurant industry. Sure. Those aren't your busiest nights now, obviously. Uh, no, they are not. I mean, sometimes when you're traveling, but. Right, right. Uh, but then I also was sitting there with, I had my week's worth of, you know, clothes to wash to get ready for the following week. And I don't know if you smelled clothing that comes out of a kitchen. Uh, it does not smell good. Especially out of, you know, where there's a lot of fryers, that kind of thing. There's, a, there's grease in the air, and there is this, this stench to them that almost never goes away. There's also a, a feel to them that almost never goes away. It's disgusting. Yeah. And I'm like, I hate coming home smelling like a French fry. And I just started, I literally just started blasting out. I, I made it a full-time job to look for a new job. And it was happenstance that I fell into logistics. And the, the guy that was the hiring manager, this is a, a quick side story, uh, he's the guy I played soccer with in high school. Oh, okay. that, I, that I played against and did not particularly care for me and had no desire to hire me. Um, but there was an incident during the interview process that both he, his boss, and the CEO said we would be stupid not to hire him because this guy heard two anecdotal pieces of information and could have saved us $125,000. So okay. whole story to that, but I won't go into it. But that's, that's how I transitioned from um, kitchen management into logistics. Interesting. So, yeah. Okay, so... On the cover of December 2007 mm-hmm. was Tony Cardella. Cardella. And he won the IPF Worlds uh, for men. Mm-hmm. Uh, men, And this, again, would have been equipped at this point. I don't believe the IPF had Raw Worlds yet, or what do they call them, Classic Worlds? What, what, what are the USAPL boys going to do when they realize the IPF and the USAPL were equipped before their time? <laughs> do you, do you, seriously, you ever seen somebody like, you know, they're soul split from their body, I think that's what's going to happen. And it's going to be great. <laughs> I, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I'm pretty sure Tony Cardella was the guy who owned GoHeavy.com, who you've oh, heard nice. me talk about. Yes. I'm pretty sure. I'm not 100% sure. But I'm pretty sure he was the proprietor of GoHeavy.com, which was kind of the it message board mm-hmm. back in the early to mid-2000s. I mean, everybody, Ed Cohn was on there. Nice. I mean, it, it was a who's who of powerlifting people that posted on there. It was the gram before the gram. Yeah, no, truly, it was. Um, you also had an article about the IPF Women's Worlds by Disa Hatfield. Mm-hmm. Um, you had... Any relation to Dr. Fred Hatfield? Yeah, that is Dr. Fred Hatfield's daughter. I should have mentioned that. Nice. Yeah. Disa Hatfield. I don't know if she's still lifting, but she, for a while, was definitely powerlifting, was very good. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if she was quite as prolific as her... Dad, Doctor Squat. It's hard to be one of the first dudes to squat a thousand. Uh, yeah, um, but she was in the same illegally. Kind of, yeah, she was in the same industry. You know, she was in exercise science. She was a strength coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard much from her lately, but you know, people go in and out of things. Sure. Um, there was an interesting list, which maybe I'll try to take a picture of and post. There was the IPF Men's World's thousand kilo totals from from 1971 to 2007. Um, it's interesting because it has repeats in there. So mm. uh, at that time, the top was Brian Siders, who mm. we mentioned last week. Um, and he was in there a number of times, obviously, because he'd posted a bunch of totals leading up to his top one. Right. Um, but he was on top, and uh, it, uh, you know, it had a lot of, I think, you know, I think it went down to like 84 places, but there was a lot of duplicates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's probably at least 150, you know, 1,000 kilo totals, which is pretty wow. interesting. Yeah. 
Again, this was all equipped, by the way. Not rah, 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 rah. I don't know how to handle that. Well, I guess back in 71, it was mostly raw. There was an article by our guy, Louis Simmons. How to reach the top. Coach, how to reach the top. And he basically just talked about, it's it's kind of a typical (laughs) Louisism article where he talks about, you know, well, Amy Weisberger did this in her training, and she did high volume, high intensity. And Chuck (laughs) Fogapole, he did high volume, high intensity. And he had bands and chains. He had a lot of bands and chains. And George Halbert, he did high volume, high intensity as a bench presser. So it, it is actually there's a little bit of oh. there's a little bit of meat on the bone there because he does talk a little bit about kind of how especially Chuck would use you know a certain percentage of bands and chains and he found that was he was having trouble locking at his deadlifts and did you know really heavy banded deadlifts mm-hmm. to help that lockout positioning. Um, I mean I'll, I'll say one thing if you ever seen Chuck V lift. He is effing explosive as hell. I he mean, is. when he stood up with his squat back in the day, he was sometimes kind of shaky, mm-hmm. but holy shit, when he came out of the hole, uh, there is very few lifters that were as explosive as Chuck in yeah. his, and not even just in his prime, but I mean, even into the mid-2000s when he was, you know, getting into his 40s. Yeah, the, the amount of fast twitch muscle that man had is just, it's mind-boggling. I mean, he was, Chuck was probably one of the the, the I would say original, but one of the most high profile, all gas no breaks kind of kind of lifters. Because I mean, you you look at his training, I mean, the guy never did like cycles and peaks. It was just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. He he's he's a monster. Yeah, there was a story where Chuck and maybe I've told this before, but there was a story where Chuck got in like a car accident. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this was in West Side versus the World. This is maybe one that I just heard online. But he got in a car accident, mm-hmm. totaled his car. He still made his way to the gym eventually to do his max effort. I think whatever Louis workout. mentioned that. Yeah, I and think I've heard. Somebody went back to talk about Louis getting a tracheotomy and <laughs> doing bench night. Yeah, I think I've maybe heard the expanded version online or you know read the expanded version online. But yeah, I mean it's something where like he's in a car accident, totals his car. Mm-hmm. He takes a taxi to the to West Side to still get his max effort workout in because it was you know whatever it was squat day. Yeah. Uh, we have the top fifty American bench presses for the one twenty three men and one hundred five women. Did anybody weigh anything back in these days, man? Like seriously, Mike, Mike Booker was number one on the one twenty three men with a four hundred two bench, which I think is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's even a few of these that were are without a bench press shirt. So you have Mike Booker with a bench press shirt that did four hundred two. And then he also did one without a bench shirt when he did 391. He's number two, which Jeez. is kind of interesting, I thought. Um, so, I mean, that's not much of a raise from his bench shirt. I mean, well, the shirts today are a lot better. They're way higher analogy. Yeah, chest I, mean, plate, so. I mean, even back in those days, you should have been able to get more than 10 pounds. Um, it's a tight T-shirt is all it was. Yeah. There's also the top 50 women, 105. The mm-hmm. number one bench there was Janet Ferrone with 225. So, you know, you also had, if any of you follow her on the gram, um, Jennifer Maley, mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, is a pretty good, pretty good bencher. Um, you got Margaret Kirkland on there, some we've mentioned before, mm-hmm. who had a 209 at number nine. So, um, uh, yeah, we, it seems like we've had a lot of light in our, my random grabs of pulsas. Yeah, hope, um, hope, hoping next week is going to be. Got to be the one that finally gets to some of the big boys. Well, we had one where the big boys. We had a couple. We, we had two seventy-five, three. We haven't had much of the middleweights. No, we actually, yeah, I think from what basically one sixty-five to two twenty, we haven't had anything. Right. Um, we have an advertisement, and I completely forgot about this until I saw. It. We had an advertisement for the AFPF 
AAFPF Illinois State Meet, and you'd say, well, what is the AFPF, Eric? If you listen to the Alphabet Soup episode, you would know. Well, that would be the American Franz Powerlifting Federation huh. and the Amateur American Franz Powerlifting Federation. Mm-hmm. This would have been around the time that I became the state chairman for the APF, mm-hmm. um, around 06, and I ran my first Illinois State Meet in 2008. This would have been when they were advertising it. Um, Ernie decided that he wanted to leave the APF, start mm-hmm. his own organization. As Ernie does. It, it's a whole long story, which we don't have enough time to go through today, mm-hmm. but uh, that was my first state meet I ran. I ran it at, there at Velocity, and Ernie had an advertisement for his state meet, which I don't believe actually happened. I don't think the meet actually ran. He did run a few meets under this banner, mm-hmm. and maybe he ran a small meet that day. Um, I remember he ran a meet down with Les Kramer, a.k.a. Les Scammer, down <laughs> in Texas. Um, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Uh, he had the drug test that were supposedly you peed on, like, uh, what are those, like, sticks that, that, you, that you would use? The in pH sec- stick? What's that? The pH stick? Yeah, like a pH stick. These, like, you'd pee on a, like, a, supposedly you peed on a pH stick, and he said it was this new technology he had for drug testing, but what it really was was he just had people pee on a stick and then threw the samples in the garbage and didn't pay for the drug testing. Yeah. Womp womp. That would have been at uh, 03 APF Nationals in Pensacola, which was my first... I think big meet uh, out of town. Um, we had results from the very first Rise of the Deadlift mm-hmm. from October 20th, 2007. Um, we had two color pictures in there. Nice. Um, that would have been the first meet of our teammate, Jennifer Gimmel. Damn. It would have been the first meet of our uh, former teammate who's moved away, Justin CP. And uh, that would have been a meet I deadlifted 535 in. Nice. So I tried, nice. I think, 550 and missed it. And I, that was, the I think, the first and last time I lifted in a meet that I ran. It was after that I was told, Ooh, yeah. do not run in meets that you run. Yeah. Um, we've got the top 100 132s. Give skinny, me just one second. Skinny boys. Yeah, the skinny boys. Speaking of while you're finding that. Uh, I was scrolling through the archives. I have an uh, external hard drive that I just, a lot of my training and meet videos are on, and I found videos from the meet when I dropped to 218. Oh, you must have been a really skinny Dude, boy. Dude, I was so skinny. <laughs> and it's so funny because I still had a 650 deadlift. I think I squatted like 540. <laughs> I lost like everything on my squat. So the top, top 132 squatter is the aforementioned Amy Weisberger, a nice. female who is top of the 132s. Remember, this is not a segregated list. This is just the list. Right. And she had a 590 squat at 132. That is incredible. And don't get me wrong. She was incredible. Yeah. Yes. Uh, M. Coons, I'm not familiar with him, 402 bench. Mm-hmm. D. Holloway, who I believe we've mentioned before, a 589 deadlift. That's an impressive deadlift at but, 132. Oh, uh, yeah, it is. D. Holloway also had the total. Fourteen ninety nine, but number two was once again Amy Weisberger, fourteen forty at one thirty two as a female. Respect, and she was the first female to qualify for the WPO, and that would that would be because there was no women's division. Right, she's she, covered with or qualified with the WPO standards. Right, she just qualified in the men's division and competed with the men. It's amazing. I'm, I'm hoping she, we see her at uh, at the Arnold. You know, I see her helping at Laura Phelps's meet. I think she lives in Cincinnati now because oh, I think that would be so cool. I think she trains at uh, 
I think she trains there at the sweat shop and we see her helping out at, uh, some of Laura's meets quite often. Um, I saw, I think she competed at not last year's WPO, but the year before. Um, uh, I think, I, I think in Florida she competed if I'm not mistaken. I, said, I, I hope she's there. Cause I, I would like to meet her because yeah. hopefully I won't fanboy out like I did it. Laura. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we ever finals. see Laura again, I could introduce you to her if you'd like. I, I, I will probably like stammer over my words, but yeah, I'll, I'll, let's do it. Okay. We'll do it live. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it live. <laughs> so something different this week. Um, you know, we've done a lot of just, you know, hard in-depth topics, which I like, mm-hmm. but I thought let's, let's take it out to the people and let's just cover a lot of ground. Just take to the streets. Take it right to the streets and cover a lot of different ground. So mm-hmm. we put it out to the gym here. We put it out to social media. And we got a lot of good questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're pretty much reading just about all of them, even the stupid ones. There was one that I'm not reading. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I sent that one to you. Oh, well, yes, yes. <laughs> so we're going to start. I, I answered it privately. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> so we'll start with George from Lombard. Jorge. And he's got, uh, I think... Four questions here? Yeah, he had a lot. He's, he's got a lot on his mind. He's got some good questions. He's a very thoughtful, thoughtful man. He is. So, George from Lombard. Would powerlifting benefit as a whole from one discernible governing body and submitted for Olympic rec- consideration, or would benefit more from separate federations with all different rules and regulations? So there, there's there's a lot to unpack there. And mm-hmm. we talked we've talked a little bit about this, and maybe it would make sense to do an episode on the Olympics at some point, and I, I'd really have to do some research on that. Or just do our own episode on how to fix powerlifting. Well, we did that. <laughs> um, so I'll start, I'll start with the first part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, would powerlifting benefit from being one discernible governing body? I would say no, okay. um, and it's just because I, I think with absolute power, there's absolute corruption. And I think that there is a place in the marketplace, especially in powerlifting, when you have a lot of different, you know, disparate types. And not that we, not that we couldn't bring things a little bit more together and maybe say, okay, could we do better with two, three, four organizations rather than so many? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we talked about this in our Alphabet Soup episode where, you know, it's like, would it make sense for the NBA to be running, you know, church league basketball leagues? No. Because, I mean, some of our powerlifting meets, let's be honest. It's the, it's equi- backyard meet, right, it's, it's the equivalent of if you were competing in, like, I don't know what kind of soccer organizations you were competing at. Su- Sunday league is what Right. You know, it's like, you know, your, your beer softball league. Does the MLB need to be governing those? Right. No. So I, when you're having an organization that's trying to be for not only the local lifter but also the plausibly Olympic level power lifter. Mm-hmm. I don't think that necessarily makes sense. No, I, I agree. Does it make sense to submit for an Olympic consideration? I think those are separate. And I actually think in general, it would probably help powerlifting if the IPF, who to me is probably the closest one to it, even though I'm not the biggest fan of the IPF, but they already have IOC recognitions in the world games. Right. And they've had that for a while, almost as long as I've been around. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that goes in trying to get into the Olympics proper. I mean, remember a few years ago that wrestling was thrown out of the Olympics. I mean, yeah. it's like there's no more uh, there's no more sport other than maybe track and field that's more epitomizes the Olympics than yeah. wrestling. It's oh, like yeah. it's like track and field wrestling. Those are like true Olympic sports, like wrestling dudes or females yeah. and like running fast and throwing things. Yep. Basically. So I do think actually it would probably as a whole benefit 
powerlifting mm-hmm. if it was in the Olympics. Even if I didn't lift in the organization within the Olympics, it could bring you know recognition to it. Um, and I guess his converse is, you know, would it benefit from separate federations with separate rules and regulations? I think overall it would probably be better if we could condense things down, but I would rather that be market-driven. You know, for instance, in my, you know, I would love it if all the multiply, the APF clones mm-hmm. all eventually came back under the APF, WPC, WPO. That would be great, but sure. I think it should be driven by the APF, WPO, WPC doing such a good job that everybody wants to come and lift under the APF versus, you know, us forcing it. And if I had a magic wand and could say, hey, you know, maybe I could go buy out some of those other organizations if yeah. I had a bunch of cash. And the only thing is I'm not sure what they're really worth other well, than... I see how many lifters lifting your beats. You're saying you don't have just tons of cash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Lifter math. So that's kind of my uh, my, my feedback on that one. Okay. Bain? Uh I, I agree generally with that. I think it's it's kind of a combination in my view. Uh, this is this is my personal opinion. I think the Olympics are kind of stupid. Um, not going to go fully and say bullshit, but I just I, it just doesn't do it. I mean, they me. are very corrupt. It's, they it's are. A, it's a corrupt organization. There's I still think there is some perceived value in the marketplace of the Olympics, but I don't think the Olympics are the end all be all that they have the perception of. Correct. And that that's one thing I said. I, I don't think that they're the, the end-all, be-all. Uh, I would love to see a little more standardization of rules and scoring. And so I equated it to, like, to boxing, uh, where you've got – you do have – you've got four or five federations that are recognizing world champions that people are okay with. And, and I think that, you know, if, if the Olympics is the goal, I feel it should be, again, similar to boxing where – the Olympics is the kind of amateur springboard to a professional career. If we can get powerlifting to that point, sure. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not sure what comes first, the chicken or the egg, with that. But that's where I feel it, it really would be uh, beneficial. Where, yeah, you to your point, you would condense some of the federations, bring some of them together. Because uh, I, I do feel that there is, uh, you know, merit to having the option of: Do I want to lift raw with, you know, no knee support? Do I want to lift raw with knee support? Do I want to lift multiply? Single ply is bullshit, but. Uh, well, and then there's the whole dr- there's the whole doping issue, which right, and that and it, that's where that's where I feel I don't think there ever can be a meeting of the minds, and that's why I always think there probably should be separate organizations because an Olympic an an organization that is affiliated with the Olympics could never have a non tested division. No, not, they just no. they just can't do that, right? And so I think in in that reason, I think powerlifting is a little bit more transparent than other sports, and just says, yeah. hey, we know that there's people that are going to dope. There are no people that are going to use drugs, so let's just have a division for them. Let them do it. Like this, you know, this, it's kind of, you know, this is what people joke about with like baseball, the old steroids league. This is what we have. Well, it's like there's the old SNL clip where it's the old steroid Olympics, <laughs> yeah. and the guy is doing a you know a snatch or something, and he pulls his arms out of the socket. Yep. But that's where I think the gear. You're never going to have a meeting of minds on that. Um, you're never going to have a meeting of the minds on the monolift. No. And you're definitely never going to have a meeting of the minds on drug testing. So 100%. Uh, The next couple were really more geared towards you, Eric, so I'll I'll let you kind of take those. Or if you want, I can ask them. Sure, why don't you read them? Uh, So do you feel that your business success or or not, or, you know, where your business lies today relies on the community you build? So I don't know. Relies is a strong word. Mm -hmm. Is it impacted by the community that I build? Yes, and I think that's, part of the way that we've built our business here Mm -hmm. is as a community. I think people 
are more likely just from a pure business perspective. We just think about memberships and buying training and you know buying extra services. I think people are going to be more likely to continue to be customers, members, if they are connected to the place that they're at. And I think if you look at other businesses that are similar, I think that's one thing that CrossFit does really, really well mm-hmm. is that they build community. And people stick around CrossFit gyms not because they like doing burpees, but because you. they <laughs> but because they like doing burpees with their buddies. Yep. And they like, you know, there's something about doing something hard with other people, you know, that builds community. Just like, you know, in the military, I assume, when you go through basic training and yep. different hard physical tasks that builds community within there, that. There is an esprit de corps with those who pass those those, those various tests, yes. So I, I don't know if it relies on it because you know, people are going to come and go mm-hmm. in any organization and any business and any community. And so I think sometimes people go and I'm sad when people leave, especially when they've been with me for a long time. But at the same time, I have learned some calloused and that's next mm-hmm. is who's next. What's next. So I have to move on because at the end of the day, I do have a family support and a business to run and a rent check to turn in every month. Yep. And so, yes, I think that my business is partially reliant on the community that we have built here, but I don't think it's not totally reliant. And I'm not sure it's, it's hard to know when somebody writes a question, what their intent is, but sure. I think it's impacted. Definitely. Got it. Makes sense. So, how do you compete with the, I mean, this goes into our what is bullshit, the Insta coach on social media to the occasional gym goer or first time attendee trying to select that in person or online fitness professional? So I guess I don't. I guess is the short answer. Mm-hmm. I guess I, because I'm not going to be a flashy Insta coach that posts a bunch on social media. I mean, I try to post on social media, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like, I think I just try to let what I do and how I do it speak for itself. Right. Um, I do some online. I don't call it coaching personally. I call it when I'm when I send somebody a program online. Mm-hmm. To me, that's online programming. That's to me different than than coaching. Coaching is now maybe you could do something where you're like skyping with them or even. But to me, even when you're watching videos mm-hmm. and reviewing that, that's not the same as people that I work with in person. That's coaching. Yeah. I agree. And. I, I prefer clients that even if they're only coming in here once a month, that one time a month gives me, that hour gives me more information just watching them, talking to them, interacting with them than all the emailed reports I get from other clients gotcha. that are online only. Gotcha. Um, now, some of them, many of them, I would say, have at one point been here. You know, I've got a couple that were former teammates. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say former teammates. They've moved. So maybe they can still, can still consider themselves teammates. But right. I don't get as much from the videos as I do from in person. Um, so it, it's difficult. I mean, I think at the end of the day, people are going to sometimes go with things that are more flashy. And I'm not flashy. That's not what that, I do. That's that not you. That's not what I do. That's not how I do it. So I try to just you know, let the results and what I do speak for themselves. Yep. And, that, and you know, it's a testament to you. That's, that's what you do with your listing, too. You are probably the least, like, again, flashy. Like, you, you would not make it the WWF. That's not, that's not your personality. Which but, is ironic because I love the WWF. It's fair. But if I was working for the WWF, I would be, like, a behind-the-scenes, you know, producer, oh, you'd be a logistics guy, producer okay. yep. writer. I would never be an on-camera right. personality. But to your point, 
the results do speak for themselves. Sure. Uh, I'll you take this one. Yeah. Do you believe this sport is more mental than physical? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I put some notes in here. Depending on the day, yes is the answer. Uh, generally speaking, I do feel that your your mind will give out before your body does. Uh, I, I kind of heard that from Dan Gable uh, many years ago. Uh, you know, if you're anybody you know knows wrestling and, and amateur wrestling, you know Dan Gable is a legend in in Iowa. Uh, you know, coaching the University of Iowa Hawkeyes for a long time. And his goal was always to train until he passed out. And his feeling was that his mind would tell him to stop before his body made him stop. And, and that was one of the reasons why he was so good as he had that mindset. Uh, so I do feel that training your mind is, I would say it's equally as important as your programming and your training. Because, uh, again, I do feel that sometimes it, it is really just getting under the bar and just moving it um, and the, don't get me wrong, there's some days where the body does fail. I get it. But I would say that it uh, it definitely is a yes to both of those. What, what do you think on that, Eric? I don't think it's more mental than physical, but okay. I think there is a heavy mental component to it. Um, I think at the end of the day that your, your muscles have to contract and move the weight. Um, and let's be honest. Like, we all talk about – I'm, I'm as big on technique and movement as anybody, mm-hmm. but – it's not like we're splitting the atom here. It's not like we're trying to read defenses as a quarterback. I right. mean, squatting is technical, but it's not the most technical skill you could do. I mean, it's less technical than Olympic lifting. It's less technical than team sports. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less technical than trying to, you know, have 11 dudes running around on a soccer field to right. me. Right. So, but I do think, especially when it gets to the heavy weights, the heaviest weights, and you know, doing those heavy weights in the meat, I think that there's a a large component of getting your mind around lifting the weight. I'm not. It's not so, so much that it's challenging mentally to know how to do it, but being able to get your mind ready to do it. And I think and executing. Sure, I do think it's more mental and equipped than raw because you're handling so much more weight than your body could handle otherwise. And there's a higher technical component to it and gosh sometimes it's just a mind fuck when you stand up with something so so super heavy on the Mm -hmm. squat or you're holding something so so super heavy on your hands on the bench i'm not saying it's not mental with raw Mm -hmm. Uh, i just think it's a little bit more with equipped having done both do do you also have to deal with the insane guilt knowing that you're cheating with all the gear on is is that also way on your mind with equipped lifting wrong Uh, I was teeing that up like for the entire day. I was like, I'm going to mess them on that one. <laughs> so. No, I sleep very well at night <laughs> having worn my cheater gear for all my lifts. I feel great about it. Oh, God, that's funny to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so. so, Bane, what program do you think has given you the most success? And these are all still from George from Lombard. Yes. Hashtag Georgie not on the gram. Hashtag Susan Boots. Uh, that's at Suits and Boots, sir. Well. Whatever. Oh, which program will you never try again? Additionally, so that's a great question, and I'll be very honest. My experience with programs it, it is limited. You know, I I did not run programming at all until uh, 2015, and from 2015 until late last year, I was essentially running uh, Propellant's Table, and 
And, and I mean, that's not a program. That's just a that's yeah, just a guideline. That's basically. what I'm saying. Like it, it, it really was all I was doing. What's, what's WPSS you have on here? Uh, that would be Wolfpack Strength Systems. Oh, hashtag hashtag at the Heartbreak Kid. Uh, no, that would be yeah at the Heartbreak Kid. I'm Has- just using all the things. Okay, hashtag. Let me Wolf, live my life. Wolfpack Wolfpack Strength Systems. Okay, yes. Yeah, which is he uses a conjugate. I would say. Yeah, he uses a conjugate uh, methodology, and uh, you know one of the things I will say that uh, Sean is very very good at is. Now, he, he does pull quite a bit out of videos. Now, he gets more in person, as you know you stated. He gets a lot of the videos that I send him. I don't know if it's just the right angles or the other supplemental videos I send him, whatever. Yeah, but, there could be some people have more expertise or they yeah. can get more out of watching videos. And so he, he's been able to identify a lot of areas where, you know, I was I was lacking and where I was deficient and has been able to then build, you know, accessories and specialty exercises around that. Uh, and then, as he likes to say, sometimes by feeling lifts, I get to earn the other crazy things that he likes to <laughs> hand to me like i think i have um quadded min- monster mini rack pulls uh for that's, the next 10 weeks that's some heavy ass band tension yeah, player. i am not excited about this at all um anyway uh so which program is giving you the most success or, or which would you never try again yeah i think the most success i've had has probably been uh running kind of the franz Marocher system um, that's where I had not, some of not my, the Midwest side. That's where I've had some of my best lifts. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely using 1020 Life, I've had you know continued success when the injuries have started. Not injuries, but you know the aches and pains have started to to pile up. I think uh, the philosophy of 1020 Life has worked really well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, programs I've never tried again. I'll probably never do a traditional 531 again. I just I didn't get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay for beginners. It gives a nice guidelines. It's probably good for just general fitness and strength. I don't think it's good for peaking for powerlifting. Um, I did Juggernaut, the original Juggernaut. Uh, it was actually not bad because I was rehabbing an injury at the time, but it was super, super high reps. Mm-hmm. It was basically almost like a copy of 531 with different reps and four four-week cycles instead of the same four-week cycle repeated. Mm-hmm. I'll never do that again. Um, plus, I think... Uh, you know, CWS is kind of a tool bag. <laughs> uh, you know, and he could have something new now. The original one, I think he probably doesn't even sell anymore. Well, they, um, get, they have the AI program now. Uh, that was that was the big thing they were pushing for a while, though that fell off really hard. There were some people that were questioning whether that AI was that good. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, you know we're going to talk about this with another question later, but I think just about any program works if you do it correctly. I mean, different programs have different results. Um, but I think you could probably have success with just about anything that has some planned progression. Um, but I'll probably never do some of those, like, unless it's a, a far off season thing, you know, those plus set AMRAP kind of programs. And I do that for other people. Mm-hmm. It just at my stage of training, it doesn't make sense. I, you know, if you would have asked me this 10 years ago, I probably would have said, I've never tried any kind of conjugate and never will. Mm-hmm. But here I am 10 years later, and I'm at least experimenting with a a conjugate style program, uh, kind of, you know, I, w- I don't want to say edited, but, you know, customized to my needs or at least the way I can train. I can't, I can't max out every week. I just, I can't. Um, I'm not at West Side. <laughs> no, here at Midwest Side, we don't have bulldogs. We have taxes. Exactly. So yeah, that's my that's my feed. I mean, we have a whole we have a whole episode on on program, but uh, that's a short summation. Yes, yes. So Tanya from Glendale Heights Hi, says Tanya. says what do you what do you do to help boost your own confidence? You want to take that one first, or do you want me to? Uh, I'll take it. Um, 
I was talking about this with one of my lifters actually early. No, yesterday when we were doing a deadlift workout, and she said, you know, what do you think about when you get on the deadlift platform, when you get on the platform to deadlift or lift in general? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think she is the type that kind of tends to overthink things, and so she's thinking about like every cue at once, and am I going to get this? Am I going to do better in the meet? And mm-hmm. overthinking things. Uh, I said, you know, I try to just focus on the key points that I need to from a technique perspective, one or two, three things, Mm -hmm. and then just try to get myself psyched up a little bit. And for me, and and I'm going to connect this back, but for me, that's how I would try to gain my confidence is by focusing on the task at hand, try not necessarily to think about everything all at once. Right. Um, Additionally, I think having confidence is partly a reflection on your training. So if you're training you know, trains you for the meet, you'll have better confidence. Um, and additionally, just having done many meets over many years, I think I have some confidence just from having experience. I'd agree with that. Uh, I think one of the things that, that I do uh, to boost my confidence is, you know, I've learned over the years that, you know, the, the person that talks to us the most is us. You know, Eric Stone talks to Eric Stone more than anybody else because you're in your own head, right? Yeah, we all have an internal dialogue. Right. and That's what separates us from the animals, you could argue. Exactly. That and the opposable thumb. So, you know, I've taken years and years to train what goes into my head, what goes on in my head. doesn't mean I have control of it all the time, but it's the 80-20 rule. 80%, I, I have more control over what goes on in my head than, than not. And that allows me to approach a barbell or anything else that I'm doing with a level of confidence that is probably higher than most. Uh, and that's it just, again, controlling that self-talk. And then, you know, when I do things well, it, enjoying it, appreciating it, and, again, not being cocky, but just saying, yeah, you said you were going to do it, and you did it. When I don't do things well, it's, okay, taking an honest look and say, what could I have done better, and what could I control? A very wise man told me many, many years ago that you can only control two things ever, and that is your attitude and your actions. Everything else is out of your control. Everything everything else is, is outside. But you can always control how you react to things and how you're going to move forward. And so that that's basically a, like if I know that I can always control those two things, that means I am in complete control of every situation. Because, okay. again, I, I'm not going to control what Eric does, but I'll always control what Robert does. Sure. So, so we have a long one here, and I had to kind of – Uh, paraphrase a little bit of it because it was a long question. I liked it, but it was long. Who was this from? This is from Dr. Fred Clary from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And he kind of notes that, you know, successful, many of the successful lifters out there, you know, they use various programming. It's not like all the successful lifters use one program. And he said, I found that the training environment is the most important. And he says, Programming in the 80s, there was usually a combination of many different types of training systems and then says, to me, it's your crew that drives success. Am I wrong? Do you concur? (laughs) Do you concur? Why didn't I concur? Damn it. I mean, I I would say yes. I mean, that we've talked about this with our programming episode. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it even in our West Side versus the World episode when I talked about how, I mean, you could think that Louis crazy and that his system is dumb. He is a little crazy. You could disagree with everything he does with his system. It's hard to argue with his results, although the West Side or the uh, IPF Gold Standard Boys would say that you know B-O-I-Z, it's, by the way, right? That it's not in the IPF and all their squats are high and in gear and on drugs, so it doesn't count. But 
within those standards, they have been the best. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Franz Jim, they didn't do any bands, chains, max effort work. They did heavy singles and full gear all the time. Mm -hmm. Both gyms produced really, really strong lifters. What was the common denominator? Big, strong, scary dudes pushing each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I feel that you know, the training systems are, individuals are going to, if you're consistent, will do well with almost whatever training system they have. But I do believe that the X factor is the crew, the people you're around. I have changed crews. I have changed people I've trained with because I want to be pushed. I'm sure you've done the same thing. And, you know, try to keep people on crews because they help to push you. Sure. You know, there are lifters out there that are just naturally talented that would do well without any lifters around them. And the training environment probably doesn't matter. Uh, but I think if you have a average talent lifter, let's mm-hmm. say someone who's not genetically gifted, like I think you could have put Ed Cohn training by himself. And Ed Cohn did have a crew back in the day, by he the did. way. Yep. But, I, but if you could have put Ed Cohn at Franz Gym, you could have put him at Westside, you could have put him training by himself. He was still going to be Ed Cohn. Yeah. Maybe he wouldn't had exactly the same total so if he... Speaking of the gold standard, by the way. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, but they're genetically gifted people, but mm-hmm. I think people, and I don't want to speak for you, Bane, but maybe like you and I that aren't the most genetically gifted in the world. First of all, superior genetics, by the way. <laughs> uh, but no, you're, you're, you're not wrong. I don't think I'm you know, the most genetically gifted person ever, but I think when I had really good success, mm-hmm. um, it was you know, my... Genetics I did have were enhanced by the training environment. Enhanced, you say. And the people that I was around, <laughs> definitely. You know, I had some of my best lifting years when I didn't have to worry about running the gym and all that stuff when I was training at Franz. Yeah. I mean, but we also had some great years, you know, training with my original Team Stone crew. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I think my continued success for what I've had has been as a result of, you know, we go back to one of the original questions from Georgie, you know, building the community and building people around me to help, you know, keep me going. Mm-hmm. And because I think if I had not had a team, I don't think I would still be powerlifting competitively. Yeah. Superior handoffs of, you know, help <laughs> all, all those big lifts. So Bill from Wisconsin. Big Bill. What are the important keys for longevity in the sport of powerlifting? Something I just talked about. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, live it long enough. That's one. Uh, you know, I, I say that half jokingly, but you know, at the end of the day, we you look at the weights that you know many of us lift. I mean, those weights theoretically should kill you, and so being able to live long enough to uh, experience longevity, but you know, just basically being thought, in my view, being thoughtful about training, and and where I feel like people are are sometimes backwards is they want to give it all in training because they will, they want to leave it all on the line. But then they also, when they get to the platform, to your point earlier, they're either in their head or they want to do everything perfect on the platform and they don't want to leave it all there. To me, it's the opposite. It's you want to leave everything on the platform, whether you you know get two whites or three whites or three reds, but you also want to be smart enough in training to know when to push and know when to pull back because you want to make it to the meet. Make sense? Sure. And and so so I feel like that's kind of the the... Building the confidence and the and the knowledge to say, okay, here's where I need to stop. Here's where I need to shut it down, and you know, live to fight another day. I've seen a couple examples of that very recently, where probably was a good idea for somebody to shut it down, and they just chose not to. Yeah, in a bunch of Brian Carroll's writings, he's talked about you got to know when to just shut it down. You got to know when to to know when to, you know, live to fight another day. 
Yeah. And, and I'll say this because I know there's a, probably a few folks who listen to this that, you know, either A, they've never had that situation or, or, they've, or they've been the one that didn't shut it down. It is way better to even be, you know, to get a load of crap from your teammates or whatever and still be able to lift well into your 50s, 60s, 70s because that is a very much a possibility if you do it right than get that one PR and you're done li- competitive lifting by 25. Sure. So there's a couple of things. I think I can speak pretty well on this since I've been competing for 20 years. Yes. Um, and I hope to compete for the next 20 years. And you're not dead. Good job. And I'm not dead. Um, I think gen- being generally healthy is going to help. Um, yes. So, you know, and I've been poor on this lately, but in general, I've tried to include some light cardiovascular exercise as, part of my, as part of my, uh, you know, routine. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, not not being too fat or too immobile, um, you know, being somewhat mobile, keeping your health in check, I think is going to be important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think taking care of your lower back is probably one of the most important things because one of the things you hear about lifters that get out of the sport, it's a lot of lower back injuries. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in the McGill three mm-hmm. and doing your core work for core bracing. Um, I think along the same token, taking care of your shoulders is the next biggest injury we see with lifters because it's just your shoulders take a beating from benching and from putting the bar on your back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be another one. And then I think you have to have some seasons to your training and to your lifting. I mean, if you want to keep lifting for many, many years, there might be a year where you don't compete and you just take the time to focus on one of those things I just talked about, mm-hmm. your low back, your shoulders, your health. Um, and then come back, you know, you don't have to do three. You, I don't think anybody could do three, four balls to the wall meets a year for 20 years. I just don't think you could do it that way. Nope. Um, so those are kind of the key things that I've, I think I've focused on. I've been able to keep me competing for many years. Yeah. I like that. That's good stuff. So basically, you know, eat your vitamins, say your prayers, all that fun stuff. Train hard. Yeah. Ken from Aurora. I think you know this guy. Uh, known for a while, I believe. Mm-hmm. Why is there no start command on the bench in the APF? You want to take that one first? <laughs> My answer is kind of silly. Um, I, I guess the short answer is because I don't know that it's ever been proposed as a rule change. Um, for those that you don't know, there was no start command in powerlifting for the first, we'll say, 30 years of the sport. Okay. Um, the USAPL IPF added it and actually eliminated the press command. So there was a, I, I actually judged a meet, I think, 05 Viking mm-hmm. Open, where it was start, you pause on your own, quote, pause on your own, Wrong. and rack. And then there, I think everybody just had their coach calling their press commands. So eventually they just added it back in, and mm-hmm. then it became start, press, rack. Um, the USPA, I think, just used that rule from the IPF, USAPL, mm-hmm. when they started. and Because I don't think the USPF, which is where the USPA came from, I don't believe they had a start command back in that day. That was something unique to the, the IPF. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the short answer is because we've never proposed it as a rule. I'm in favor of this adding the start command. Maybe I will propose it for this year's AGM, annual general meeting for the WPC. There you go. I, well, there used to be an in-person AGM, actually. I was looking back. Um, I was looking for something related to this power from USA and mm-hmm. found the results from uh, the 08 Worlds that I believe Jackie Stone and I attended down in West Palm Beach, Florida, and there was an actual meeting of all the country heads. There was a lot of translating, which was very, you know, very tricky. Interesting. Um, I believe that's the one where I first proposed uh, 
eliminating the morning of WANs. Mm. And uh, we'll talk about this meet again for another question later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I proposed that and was promptly yelled down by the country heads. Huh. And, but then that rule was changed a couple years later. Uh, man ahead of his time. So I, I guess the short answer is we've never, I don't think it's ever been proposed. Um, I would be in favor because it would be nice to establish a baseline of elbow positioning, uh, especially on shirted benches. You could eliminate those, quote, soft handoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, you could get rid of the, because like, why would I be judging whether somebody starts with their elbows extended when technically the lift doesn't start until the press command? Mm-hmm. So why are we judging something that's outside the lift? Why couldn't someone just place a bar on somebody's chest, yep. receive the press command and up? So I, I would recommend that if that's part of the lift, then let's start it with a command. I just blame Russia. 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 Collusion. That's what's going on. Uh, you know, I had a, a family member on something recently where... They literally said, I think this is Russia. And I, <laughs> I wanted to do one of the laugh emojis, but yeah. I didn't want to offend him. You know, my parents and brother arguing politics with other family members. I wanted to text them all and be like, oh, what are you guys doing? There's, <laughs> there's no point to this. You're going to all get us in a fight at the next family dinner. <sighs> Russia. Okay, so <laughs> Jackie from Willowbrook Ooh. has got a few questions for us. Um <clears throat> If you could only do one of the big three for the rest of your life, which one and why? Bane? For me, it's a squat. I I kind of joke about it sometimes, but I, I even before lifting, I've always loved squatting. I, I just I, There's something about it. There's something about the intensity of it, of just being able to stand up with a weight that should just you know crush your soul. I just have always really enjoyed that. And so I, I would say the squat, whether that's, you know, raw, otherwise, you know, won't say if that'll happen or not anytime soon, but I, I just I would squat. What about you? So I'd like to say squat because squats are always my favorite. They're my favorite <laughs> lift to train. I get the most excited about squat days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say as far as just for doing for the rest of my life, I'd probably say bench just because I think that's the one that's if all else fails, I'd be still most likely to still be able to compete in. Mm-hmm. If I had knee issues or back issues or hip issues, you probably could still bench. So oh, I, I do bar, like Barzine's a good example of that. Yeah, I mean I do like I do like squatting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in couple last couple of years I've mostly competed in the bench for various reasons. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably say bench. Okay. Awesome. What accomplishment of someone, not yourself, are you most proud of? Uh, I had two on this one. And and I really had to kind of think about, you know, how I would word it, but you know part part of this is being able to say that my daughter at thirteen years old was a world champion. Uh, taking her through that process of going to the state meet, nationals, worlds, and her, you know, the learning process that she had during that time was just unbelievable. And it was so cool to be a part of that with her. Uh, it is one of my most proud moments of, of uh, my parenthood and then just my relationship with my, my oldest daughter, Lily. Uh, and then also uh, helping take Drew Carroll to his first worlds uh, in his first year in the sport in 2017. You know, he was a guy who came to the Monster Garage. We we hit it off. Uh, we've been friends for for a few years, and I have jokingly proposed to him, like, "Hey, uh, I'm not doing the state meet, but if you wanted to, uh, it would qualify you for nationals. If you place top three there, uh, you would qualify for worlds. It's all here in Chicago. Might be kind of a cool experience." And that just kind of started us down this road of this very very close friendship that we maintain today. And so. Uh, I was very, very proud to be just a, a small part of that. Obviously, he did all the work, but uh, just to kind of run alongside him during that time, it was really, really cool. And where is Drew right now? Uh, Drew's in Schaumburg. Yeah, why isn't he training right now? Drew's in Schaumburg. 
Drew, do you, does Drew listen to the podcast? You know, that's a good question. I, I should ask. Well, if you do listen to this, Mr. Andrew Carroll, mm-hmm. Team Stone and 2XL are calling. Ooh, the call is happening right now. I like that. Eric, what is, what is an accomplishment of someone not yourself? Yeah, so mine was really easy on this one. Um, it was my wife Jackie's 2009 AWPC Worlds performance. Mm-hmm. She went nine for nine. She set uh, AWPC world records on the squat, bench, and total. She attempted fourth attempts on, I believe, the bench mm-hmm. and even the deadlift. Missed them both. Now, she might have gone eight for nine. She might have missed a squat. I'd have to look back at that. But okay. had, you know, an unbelievable day. Cut 14 pounds to make the 198s um, following the water protocol and mm-hmm. put it all back on. She talked about that a little bit last week. Mm-hmm. But just had an unbelievable day. Um, you know, we kind of talked about with her, her start in the sport and kind of being just meh about even competing. Mm-hmm. And then to see her do really well on a world stage, you know, set world records and yep. set PRs and have a great day. It was just, uh, you know, something I was extremely proud of and I'm still really proud of. I think yeah. something she's really proud of. She should be. It's a, that's awesome. That's a, that's a great day. So... so if Trump lifted in a meet, <laughs> would he go raw or equipped? What would be his total? I'll take this one. Raw, always raw, the rawest. No one lists raw than me. Everyone agrees. Biggest total, the best. I know people they've totaled. Everyone says it's the biggest raw total. Wrong. <laughs> um, we, we've been waiting for this one like the entire episode, basically. Uh, I... You know, I feel like if I'm going to answer this honestly, mm-hmm. I think Trump would probably go raw with wraps because he's. An I, also, old... I also think he's going to bomb. By the way, uh, no, he would not bomb. No, no, wrong. I, Collusion. I would, I, I would never bomb. If I did, it would be Russia. <laughs> we know they're not hosting championships right now. Well, and it's funny because the last time we had the worlds in Russia, it was a big clusterfuck. So <laughs> there was definitely some collusion there. I think Trump would lift classic raw because he's an old dude and he's probably got old knees. And let's be honest, if Trump did a meet, he would only do bench only. There's a zero percent chance. Oh, yeah. 100%. There's a zero percent chance that Trump's putting a barbell on his back and yeah. squatting down. He has never squatted in his life. I can guarantee that. I, actually, no, I take that back. Uh, he's, 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 a, he's a little extra thick. But. He, I mean, he's probably worked with a trainer before. I have to imagine he's probably worked out. Although I did, I don't know if this is true, but one of my clients told me there's just that. Trump had this weird philosophy that like your body's like a battery. Yeah. And when yeah, you exercise, you're like draining you're, it. You're draining the battery so he doesn't exercise because you've got a you know a finite amount of battery. But, I, but he does play golf. He fired somebody because they asked him, so are babies the most powerful beings on the planet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a so, valid question. So he if he lifted full power, he would do classic raw. He probably would do bench only. My guess is Trump's bench is at most 225. Melania, did you see it? It was a great bench. Melania probably has done a lot of squats, let's be honest. That's not wrong. Melania is a great athlete, too. The best. Sean from Parts Unknown (laughs) asks, when will APF Illinois start allowing us to pick our own music? Well, I've got an answer for this, Sean. We will allow it at the Pressing the Pieces Together Bench Press Benefit for Autism on April 25th. We did this last year, mm-hmm. um, and no one, like barely anybody, sent any music in. So my brother-in-law, uh, James Eben, mm-hmm. who is a part-time DJ, 
Um, and the problem is he doesn't have a lot of heavy metal music. Right. So people then went up to him at the meet and were trying to request certain things. And it's like, well, he has like wedding music. He doesn't have, yeah. you know, ACDC and Metallica. <laughs> so I tried to get people to send in the requests ahead of time. I should have included this on the survey form for the meet. Yeah. Um, but I sent out a separate email. I didn't get a great response. So, Sean, if you've got your song, I mean, it's all. It's, it's raining, raining Man. It's Raining Man. If that's what you want playing, I'm sure we could get it. And I'm sure we can get James Ebb in there again on the 25th of uh, April. And he will play that when you go into the platform. Last year when Jacob lifted, we were playing uh, the Baby Shark Baby song. Shark, yep. So we can do that. Now, in seriousness, we cannot do that every meet because it's just a logistical nightmare. And you can't do it for a two-platform meet. Yeah, two-platform meet you can't do it for. You, ju- you just can't do it for. So All uh, I'm going to say is the Brits did it in 2018. We beat them in the Revolutionary War. God damn it, we can do it too, and we can do it better. <laughs> so Guillermo, for, and, and I'm just freestyling some of these just for kicks, but Guillermo from Bufu, Illinois, because he's basically in... He's in St. Louis. He's basically in St. Louis, which is basically like, you know, he's, he's almost in Mexico. He's so far south. Essentially, yeah. So... Well... <laughs> When is Bane going to go in raps in Squad 800? I don't need the goddamn things in Squad 800. Just give me the rest of the year. Hmm. So when, I, I guess the first qu- part of that question, though, when are you going to go in raps? You'll see. So if you can Squad 800 raw, then let's put the fucking raps on in Squad 850. Yeah, we'll see. Hmm. I don't like that answer, Bane. Yeah, that's fine. You've got to like it. You've got to live with it. Ju- uh, go ahead. You, you <laughs> no. can ask this one. Julene from Central Illinois. Eric, have you ever competed raw? If not, will you? Uh, actually, yes, I have competed raw. <gasps> I have done one bench deadlift only meet. I did the rise of the deadlift, and uh, I'd have to check. Isn't that the one with your slim shady haircut? There no, was no, that okay. was no, that was way after that. <laughs> no, there was no raw division back then because okay. that would have been like oh four. Jesus. Uh, no, and that was not raw. That was an equipped deadlift only meet Got on it. the side of Franz Gym, yes, yes, where there was a slight decline on the side of the building <laughs> that might have helped the the deadlift. I don't know. Uh, so I did do a bench deadlift meet raw. I think I benched around 285. I tried 300 and missed it. Uh, I wanted to deadlift 500 conventional. I did about 475, 485. Nice. Um, will I ever do it again? Eh, I probably would never squat raw. It's just my hips mm-hmm. you know, have too many issues. I might do a bench deadlift meet again raw. I guess I'm just not super motivated to do it because it's just not what I do. It's not... It, it, to me, enjoy. Yeah, it's not what I enjoy. To me, it just doesn't provide as much challenge as equipped. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to say I'd never do it. Um, there might be a time and said, hey. Yeah, never's me, a long time, man. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'll never say never. Um, I might do another. It would be nice to finally get a 300-pound raw bench in. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice to do a 500-pound raw deadlift. That's what I'd train for for that meet. Eh, there's plausibility. I'd give that another try. Okay, awesome. At Deadlift Frankenstein. Do you think openpowerlifting.org has any influence over the powerlifting community today? Follow-up question. Do you think open powerlifting is as important as Michael Sung's list, which we referenced a couple episodes ago? Uh, I'll let you take it first, Bane. Yeah. I I definitely feel open powerlifting has a place, and it's a good place. I don't know if it's influence yet. It definitely is a great reference point. I think that's probably the better word at this time. Uh, 
though I'm interested that they're, they're starting to kind of play the game of, oh, hey, big announcement coming. They put that on their story uh, today that there's a big announcement coming from them on Tuesday. Don't know what that's going to be, but I find it interesting. It's coinciding with the start of the Arnold, you know, a couple of days later. So, hmm. uh, interested to see that. So, my my hope is that at some point, because again, the the way that they utilize their data, I really like that. It's very user friendly, and I'm hoping somehow that you know they're able to connect with uh, Michael Sung's family and are able to you know pull that data in. That would be awesome. And then I think there will be you know because because I think there was and even. Influence wasn't as big a word to me as on Sung's list as reverence, you know, because being on that list was so important. Uh, so hopefully those two combine at some point. But yeah, I think reference is probably the better word right now. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that, Eric? I think it does have influence over the powerlifting community. I think Wrong. I think I think it does because it it is it is a reflection of the current era of powerlifting where there is so much delineation between raw raw with wraps, mm-hmm. single ply equipped, multi ply equipped. Versus, you know, quote, back in the day with Soong's List, I think why it was so impactful because, and why we talked about the top 50 all time we had in Power of PSA and the top 100 lists, Mm -hmm. why those were so impactful is because it was so simple. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we're going to go back to, you know, all equipped lifting. That's never going to happen. No, never. But I think if open powerlifting, I mean, I I like their website. Like you said, I like their data. It's just there's so many little variables because there's so many variables in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. You know, if there was more of a succinct, like, here's the top 50 right now. Here's the top 100 for the mm-hmm. year. Even going back to powerlifting, Watch had that kind of thing for raw and equipped. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they had raw, multiply, single ply. I don't know. But it's like the more you dilute it, the less impact it has. Mm-hmm. But I think it is a reflection on the current era of powerlifting where, you know, it's kind of the Burger King you know, have it your way powerlifting, mm-hmm. which in some ways I've talked about is good because I think it's market driven and I think it's good to have different variety. But I think sometimes if you ask people what they want, they might tell you, but sometimes people don't know what they want until you provide it to them. Fair. So do you think it is true influence that open powerlifting has, or is it just to your point, is it just a reflection? I think it's both. I think it's, both? I think, I think there's an, inf- I think people look at that. I think it's influential on, you know, what people want to, I think it's influential. I mean, we talked about somebody on Facebook asked on the APF group page, not the APF official page. Mm -hmm. They asked, what do we have to do to get the APF to accept sleeves as part of raw? And, you know, a number of people answered, it's probably not going to happen. Classic raw, what it is. Right. It's probably not going to happen, but I think because a website like openpowerlifting.com includes sleeves as part of raw. Mm-hmm. I think that, and that is what people expect it to be. So there's some influence there. Um, and I think we have probably turned some people off from the APF WPC by not offering or not making our raw division with sleeves. Yeah. To me, I would say you're, you're parsing it out so much now. You're saying, okay, well, some support is okay. Um, but if you can wrap it really tight, that's different than if it's something that's moderately tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, to it me, takes four people to get those knee sleeves on and off. Right. And if you're going to have any separation in raw, it should be the way we do it. It's, you know, no, nothing on your knees versus something on your knees. And, Superior and, raw. I'm an advocate of having one raw division in the APF and just making it classic raw. And if you don't want to wear knee wraps, don't wear it. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Just like in the old days, if you didn't want to wear equipment, nobody's going to require put, you to. Put your singlet on and call it so, a day. Right. I, so I think there's some influence there. I do not think it's as important as Soong's list. I don't think it has as much of an impact as Soong had. Mm-hmm. 
because of the simplicity of Soong's list. It, it was a list. It was, you know, first through 50, yep. you know? I mean, it was for one through 20, or it was the records. Here is the number one lifter in this weight class. Yep. Um, and he even started to have a raw list. And I think even when it was that separated, it was still impactful. And because it's, you know, it's like if I'm trying to find the top bencher for the year, I can barely find it because if I have it via bench, it can only do it via coefficient. If I have it via event, it's like bench only. And it's 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 sometimes yeah. hard because there's so many variables to even figure out how to find what I want to find. Yeah. I agree. And, and that's not a criticism on open powerlifting because, you know, they basically created a database mm-hmm. and you can manipulate the way that it organizes it. Um, but for instance, I mean, I think there's been such, you know, reverence around uh, Steffi Cohn and who's the other girl that had Mariana. a rip? Mariana, because if you look on openpowerlifting.com, they're the top. Right they're the top on the Wilkes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, and, and those are both really impressive lifters, way more impressive lifters than I am. Mm-hmm. So not a criticism on them, but the Wilkes formula wasn't designed to evaluate females versus males, A. B, it wasn't made with females that are perhaps not drug tested mm-hmm. in mind. So I think that's going to totally throw off the formula. And, you know, people are holding them up as the greatest lifters of all time. Maybe they are plausible um they're really good lifters they're very good lifters. they're, they're extremely good, good lifters. lifters but i don't i think you'd have some difficulty them versus some others if if you did a true comparison yeah i would agree with that so, so. we'll move on to miss <laughs> mombad who has some excellent questions yeah um and i believe is still here as we're recording this maybe so. she's left uh Bain, what is your favorite white cloth flavor uh scotch I didn't know there was flavors to White Claw, so I'm not sure how to answer that. Yeah, there, there is, and I don't drink them. I drink scotch. Do you prefer Creed or Nickelback? Rick James, bitch. I mean, is this even a question? I don't know. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, like, we're compa- like everybody hates on Nickelback, but come <laughs> on. You're telling me that, that Creed is better than Nickelback? I mean, they're both... Uh, I, they're both trash. Well, I, I mean, you know, they're both fine. They're, I know they're not my favorites. Garbage. They're both fine, but, but clearly Nickelback is better than Creed. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate them both equally. Would you rather run a marathon or sacrifice your baby toe? I couldn't type this out fast enough, baby toe. Well, the ironic thing is by training to run a marathon, you might lose your baby toe. So there you go. I just save myself having to run. I don't think it's not a matter of would I rather. I don't think I could run a marathon. I don't think I could train to run a marathon. I don't think my body is capable of that. My fat ass ain't. I don't want to lose my baby toe. <laughs> um, I guess I would probably say, quote, run a marathon, because at the end of the day, I'd probably just walk for eight hours. Yeah. And I, because I could, if you give me enough time, I could probably walk. Well, I, could, I could walk 26 miles. I could walk jog 26 miles eventually, if you give me snacks on the way. Yes. Emphasis on the snacks, please. Uh, Stacy, 4411. Eric, favorite moment as a coach so far? So uh, one of them is going back to my, you know, proudest moment that's similar. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite and proudest are, are slightly different, but, you know, the 09 AWPC Worlds with Jackie. Mm-hmm. Um, but just from a – and I've got a few here. I know she said favorite, but I've got a few. Mm-hmm. Um, it's our podcast, and I'll have multiple favorite moments if I want to. I'll do what I want. I'll do what I want. Uh, Jackie's first meet was something that was, you know, pretty impactful as a, as a moment for me because, mm-hmm. again, she – kind of was just medium on lifting at meets. And I don't even think at the time I realized that. Like, I thought, like, if you lifted on a powerlifting team, like, 
you were just going to lift in a meet. Yeah. Like, I just assumed that. When you do in a meet. And I think she just was, as she talked about, I think she just went to train with the team, the Marosher team, because her friend was going and she maybe wanted a place to hang out and have a community and mm-hmm. learn how to lift weights. I don't even think she'd put a huge amount of consideration. I think I just kept bugging her until I think I looked on the website. It's like, hey, how about this meet right here? <laughs> and she's like, uh, okay. So you forced yourself on her. Nice job, <laughs> Classic. And I think oh, I have to think back on that. It, I don't know that the first meet was before we were dating, but I definitely was asking her about doing a meet before we were dating. Okay. Um, Jen Gimmel lifting in the WPO in 2018 was one of my favorite moments. I mean, she had on one of the biggest stages for multiply powerlifting had an unbelievable day. Mm-hmm. She set submaster records. She set all PRs, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, you know, which are being broken in six days. <laughs> right. And she didn't necessarily place against some of these high level lifters, but she competed. There's many that bombed and she got the call and she answered it. Yeah. So she, she stepped up and you know, the, the amount of dedication and work she put into it, um, seeing her do so well on such a big stage was something that, you know, I, I can, I will, will not forget anytime soon. Yeah. Um, and I hope she does something similar in five days from now or six, six days. Six days. Uh, seeing my special needs client, Nick, compete the last three, four, five years in our autism bed trust meet is something that really gratifying. He's never really able to do sports. He couldn't even do Special Olympics because it just didn't work for his personality. Yeah. So seeing him lift in our autism meet and raise money for a cause that directly affects him has been something that has been you know, very impactful for me. It's beautiful. I, I, I've enjoyed watching him as well. Uh, for me, it, it's kind of the obvious. It's Lily all of 2019. Just, um, I, I'm not 100% which is was more exciting to me, whether it was uh, after Worlds was done or after she got her last deadlift at the Illinois State meet. She had finished that meet, and it, she did very, very well. I think she was 7 for 9 or 8 <clears> for 9 at that meet, and just... As a father, it was just so cool. It was so awesome just to to experience that alongside her and handle her. And uh, so, just the whole 2019 season was just uh, it was just awesome. Biggest pet peeve as a teammate or coach, Bane? It's a lack of self awareness. Uh, that is a frustrating thing for me. Uh, some of this is just it's it and it's tough. Like I know because sometimes I've gotten the feedback on it, but. Uh, you know, I talked about how, how do you build confidence and uh, part of what I do is I've, you know, really try to look inward and really try to build, uh, you know, a, an understanding of myself and how I may be perceived uh, by others. And I understand that that is unique and not everybody does that, but it drives me insane when people can't understand, like, there is a chance that you could be a complete asshole right now. Whatever it is you're doing, whether it is how you're handling yourself at a meet, at the gym, what you're saying, uh, there there was a very particular person that I know, very particular incident where they listed off a, a list of names. It was very obvious all these names had a very similar background, uh, and it came off incredibly racist when he said what he said about them. I'm trying to be very vague about it because it would be if I, if I got into the details, it would become pretty obvious who the guy was. But uh, essentially saying that these people and all their kind, quote-unquote, uh, need this get blown off the earth. Whoa. Yeah. I'm like, 
do you understand what it is you're saying right now? Like, what do you sound like? Uh, it's not doing people a favor. You sound like a complete piece of shit. Uh, so it's just that kind of lack of self-awareness. Uh, or, you know, borrowing pieces of equipment and never returning them and they get thrown away. Stuff like that. I'd say that's a lack of self-awareness. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that's kind of my, my big pet peeve. What about you? So as far as, like, being a teammate... Um, I'll maybe separate this into two. As a teammate, when I train with the team, my probably biggest pet peeve is people that don't spot and load. Mm. They just kind of like go through the motions or like on their phone doing their own thing. Like if we're training together, like then fucking train. If you're not up, then put some. Ask what you know. Let's figure out an order. Let's figure out what needs to go on the bar. Let's figure out the height on the bench or the squat. And you know, sometimes people will complain that workouts are long, and well. If you don't like the workouts being wrong, then long, then show up on time. Saw you ready for that. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, show up early. Be ready to go when we're taking the bar. Take the bar, um, and spot load. And if you don't know how to do something, then ask. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't feel comfortable spotting, then try to do something else. Run I mean, the motto. I remember when I went to Franz gym for the first time. I ran the monolift arm for like the whole workout because I didn't. I didn't feel comfortable touching plates or moving things around. I didn't know how to move the monolith, so I just tried to say, like, who's up? And tried to run the monolith arm for them because I knew I could figure out how to do that. Yeah. And it's just, again, I think that goes back to your point of lacking self-awareness. It's like if everybody else is loading plates and you're not, like, what do you think is going on there? Yeah. So as a coach, uh, I think my biggest pet peeve is just people who don't follow their program. You know, people don't don't do all their accessory work. You know, and and I get it. Sometimes you're tired. You don't do all this stuff on there. And sometimes I put a lot of volume on there. But don't complain that you're not getting stronger or that you're not progressing. If I write you, take the time to write you a program. And this is probably even more a pet peeve when I used to not charge for programming. Mm -hmm. Because in the early Team Stone, it was just, if you want to work out, I'll write it for you. I'm not going to charge you anything. Just help with meets be part of the team. I didn't make anything off the team at that point, and it was probably good practice for me just to to work on programming um, before I started charging for it. But if I'm going to take the time to write a program for you, then fucking do it. And, you know, if it's written a certain way, do it that way. And if you don't want to follow my program, that's cool. Just don't have me write it then. And also don't bitch. You don't get the results you want. Right. For the love of God, don't do that. <laughs> this, this one was kind of funny. From Massey Fitness. Oh, uh, at Massey Fitness says, when is the last time you've done more than 10 reps? Yeah, you can ask my wife. It's been a long time. (laughs) When was the last time you did more than 10 reps? Yeah, I was just going to let that sit there for a minute. (laughs) Let let it Uh, marinate. Surprisingly, Massey Fitness, I do lots of things over 10 reps. Um, A lot of my sex, most of my accessory work. (laughs) Oh, there's a Freudian slip. (laughs) Most of my accessory work is over 10 reps, sir. I'm sorry. We'll edit this out. It's fine. No, we'll just leave it all in, and we'll just move on to the next question. That's what she said. At load the bar. I don't know who this is. Do you know who this guy is? Yeah, it's Anthony. He actually used to train in the Moss Garage. Oh, okay. I, was say, I, don't, I didn't know immediately who he was. The name yep. looked familiar, but does your diet during meat prep really matter at the end of the day? Or should I just consume to, I think I meant to be, continue to stuff as many dead animals in my mouth as I can? Yes, put all the meat in your mouth. Wow, these last two questions are just... <laughs> just teeing them up, man. It's just, so easy. Just teeing them up. 
<laughs> Anything else to add on that, Bane? Uh, so I I make light of it, but no, your your diet is actually incredibly important because your diet plays into you know how you're fueling your body, how you're fueling your recovery. Uh, it does really matter. I think this was probably done half jokingly because he's actually fairly thoughtful with his training and with his nutrition. Uh, yes, I, and I know this is something that some folks have given me some crap about. Yes, I have put on a significant amount of weight over the last two and a half years. Uh, part of that was my own lack of caring about my diet. And also just I, I am happier and more comfortable at a at this higher weight. Uh, and the numbers are going. I don't know if I'm actually stronger pound for pound, but at least the numbers are going up, so I'm happy with that. Uh, yeah, so it, it does truly matter. And even now, like I am still watching what I eat. I, I decrease the amount of drinking that I do, both the uh, the volume and the consistency with it. I am trying to you know eat cleaner foods, eat more uh, whole foods. So it, it does really matter. Uh, I don't know if you feel any different or you know anything to add to that, Eric. Or- I mean, I think it does. Um, certainly your diet probably has the most impact on your body weight and your body fat of anything that you do. So I guess it depends on what your diet is and what your goal is. Like, I think at the end of the day for powerlifting, really dialing in your diet can have a marginal impact if you're at a high level. If you're just a regular old you know, local lifter, I'm not sure that, you know, having a super bodybuilder like diet is optimal or it is going to get you that much better results. Um, I think getting an adequate amount of protein to kind of his point is probably what's most important, Put all the meat in your mouth. but if your diet is shitty, then it is going to have an impact. So I guess it just depends on, you know, what you mean. Like, do you need to have as strict a diet as a bodybuilder training no. for a show? No. Might you have a marginal better impact if you followed as strict of a diet as that, yes. But what would the impact be? I'm not sure it would be that much better than if you just had a you know pretty good diet most of the time, and instead of taking your time on you know a super strict you know meal prep, if you know you focused more on your training or even just your sleep might have a, a stronger impact on it. So, so let me ask you this: You think you'd probably be a, a you would probably perform better if you're eating whole foods? higher protein content, grains, and vegetables versus eating cheesecake, donuts, and fried chicken. Yes. Okay. Wrong. I'll take this next one. (laughs) Go ahead. At notyourcatwoman underscore, what is your craziest meat story? I've got a few here, but I'll let you start, man. You you probably have dozens of crazy meat stories. It was hard. You've done and or ran hard for me to nail these down. So I have three, but I'll let you go first. Uh, The the first one, actually, I didn't really think was as crazy. until I really looked back at it was weigh-ins at 2017 worlds in the Sheraton. Okay. So if you remember the Russian team was all like together. Oh my God. And they, they basically start stripping in the lobby. Yeah. Yeah. Strip stripping. Oh yeah. And (laughs) Emma had to actually, uh, the head of the British power union had to go, Basically, tell them to stop, one. So awkward. So I, I meet one of the gentlemen who was listed in my weight class, and huge language barrier. No one there spoke any English. At least they didn't feel like it at that time. Guarantee if I was a cop, they would have. Uh, There's always at least one of them that speaks way more English than they laid on. 100%. However, Instagram saved the day. And I pulled up his Instagram profile and then showed him my picture. I had... We recently followed each other, and it was like I was his long-lost brother. He gets all excited. He gives me a big hug, shirtless. And <laughs> my wife and my mom are watching all that, and Drew's actually in line with me too. And he's like, well, it's like you got a new friend there. 
Uh, so it was it was pretty wild. And again, this then watching them all walk out of the weigh-in room in their freaking underwear, like okay, not gonna not gonna put them back on. I guess rock on. I'm glad I had Emma there to help keep that under control. <laughs> that was wild. Uh, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, my very first meet, uh, I dropped 308 on on my chest. These spotters did not catch it. Was it from the top or where was yep. it? I was oh. pressing through, and the oh. bar like slipped out of my hand or my wrist buckled. I'm not 100%. I haven't watched the video in a while. Uh, you don't watch that one every day? No, I don't. I, I do watch another one every day, though, in case you're wondering. And twice today, actually. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Whatever. All right, continue. And, yeah, right as I was getting to the top, uh, the bar <clears> fell, <throat> and the spotter, If you, I do remember this watching the video. He's not actually watching the weight. He's looking at the uh, person on deck. And ah. so it bounces up. He catches it off the bounce. And then you hear me yell at him, like, you had one fucking job. Yeah, he, uh, he, he didn't like that. And actually, I don't know who was judging, but they said not to swear at the spotters. I'm like, well, then have him catch the damn bar. Hmm. What statement was that? That was a 2014 Illinois statement. Yeah, okay, I think I was, wasn't I competing at that you one were. myself? Yeah. You were. Yeah. So I wasn't in charge of it, so you I won't take not. any blame for that. You were not, sir. Uh, last one, this one was... Uh, also at the state meet? Also at the state meet. I believe it was 2016. Uh, I always space on who the lifter was that was lifting at this time. It was an equipped Seaver lifter. Madison. Madison. Thank you. Uh, you remember this, this whole oh, thing as well. Oh, yes. He ended up uh, dumping a bar, not on purpose, but just he you know, came up with a lift and he ended up dumping the bar. Spotters were not as prepared as they should have been, and the weight actually came down on a spotter's hand on the leg of the monolift and ended up almost slicing his finger off. And I remember him... The, the spotter starting to freak out and, you know, we ended up getting like a blanket or a pillow to kind of, you know, basically put over his chest so he couldn't see what was going on with his hand. And we wrapped up. I actually ended up losing a hoodie over it because there was so much blood on it. We just threw it away. Jesus. To calm him down, I told him, like, listen, man, you're going to get through this. It's no big deal. This, you know, there's good doctors. There's ambulance on the way. And I'm going to, you know, we're going to connect on social media and I'm going to watch your comeback, and it's going to be great. Eight months later, he walked out of the Monster Garage, and he trained with us for the next two years. Yeah, I don't know that I'd ever seen him too much after that. Did he compete after that? He competed a couple times. He does uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now. Uh, actually, he's competed at the Arnold uh, the last couple of years oh, cool. at that, so it was just kind of cool. But, yeah, oh. that, was, that was wild. Like, I had no idea who this guy was, like, you know, nothing. And then, you know, very soon thereafter, he ends up being one of my teammates. Yeah, that, that so. was one where... I love Dick Zenzen, um, but he did not have – he did not request an adequate amount of spotters. No, he did not. And, you know, he did the same thing I do is, you know, call or text Rudy Rudiger from Rudy's gym and say, <laughs> I need X number of spotters for the meet. And I think Dick just did not request enough. And he told us, like, just call up Zenzen Barbell when we need extra spotters. And it just uh, – that was an instance where they're just – they weren't ready. It wasn't. It wasn't good. That I, it's one that kind of makes me sick to my stomach when I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I, not one of my craziest meat stories, but I remember that very distinctly, and it was. I was not happy about it at all. I, I also remember people like in the crowd because I remember he was on his knees, and if you ever watch Family Guy, I don't know if you do it all, but uh, there's a recurring joke where Peter Griffin gets hit and he grabs his shin or his knee. And he goes ah. Ah, and it's supposed to be really funny. I've never found it particularly humorous, but Sean was basically on the ground, like grabbing his hand. He's hunched over doing something very similar, and there are people in the crowd actually laughing at it until everyone started seeing the blood pooling underneath him. Yeah, Jesus. That was a terrible situation. People are assholes. 
Anyway. Uh, so I got, I got three pretty good ones here, and I probably have many more that I can't think of off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, but back in the meet when Bill Carpenter was running APF meets, uh, Corey Akers mm-hmm. uh, fell forward into the monolift, and the monolift was on a stage, and it started to tip forward. Jesus. And it's probably a good, I don't know, four or five feet in the air, and there's a crowd like not that far from the stage. And I'm sure what the mono weighs how many how much? Yeah, five hundred pounds. And then I'm sure with Corey there's at least eight, nine hundred pounds on the bar, possibly um, more. Try more like a thousand on yeah, the bar. And so like I Corey. ran in to stabilize Corey because he was falling forward. So I went in, double underhooked him because mm-hmm. the spotter was trying to stabilize the monolift. In the meantime, Corey bled all over because he's a constant nosebleeder mm-hmm. when he squats heavy. Mm-hmm. He bled all over my khaki pants. And then afterwards said, uh, you know, kind of laughed and said, I wasn't going to pass my next drug test after having all that blood. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. It is funny. Uh, Not natty. Yeah, I wasn't natty after that. Uh, I had a trailer break down two, two separate flat tires on my way to a summer bash. Jesus. And we had one flat, and I had one spare. Mm-hmm. And then we had another, not just flat, but we didn't realize the entire tire just shred and this was about as was it was it an inside tire? Uh, this is just four tires, so there's no inside outside oh, Jesus, tires. Okay, so I have four tires, and there's just one set on each. Oh boy, this is probably about as close, maybe one or two other times to having a nervous breakdown as I've ever had. Okay, because we were driving the equipment to the meet to set up, and we've got, I think that was one of those where we probably had you know a hundred and something lifters in one day. Oof. And the high school boys had helped us load the trailer up, and they were, you know, driving with us down there. And I'm like, you know, what do we do if we can't get it going in time? What do we do if the high school boys aren't going to be there to help us set up? Because there's yeah. like three of us from Team Stone, myself, maybe Ken, and Bob Phil, who was driving it. Wow. And luckily, Bob Phil, you know, God, God bless him, he drove out, bought an extra spare for us, Jeez. put it on the trailer. With it still loaded all the stuff on there. Luckily, he had had me get a a hydraulic jack that was capable. Right. The high school boys were nice enough to just go, I don't know what they did. They went and like played paintball or laser <laughs> tag or something for a couple hours and were still willing to help meet us like two, three hours later. Dude, that's awesome. At the high school. Good for them. Um, uh, but that, again, was probably one of the times when I was about as close to a nervous breakdown as I could possibly be. Could see that. Um, Talk about weighing lifters in. Let's, <laughs> let's go back to the 2008 WPC Worlds where there was, I don't think this is an exaggeration, 200 people in line weighing in the next day. Uh, wow. You could ask Marosher about this because he was in line. Mm-hmm. It was the Masters Day. I was running weigh-ins by myself. Was, One, was this the day that he walked in with the Ed McMuffin and somebody walked out of the line? I mean, I beat him worlds. I think that might have been a, like a local meet, but yeah, I'm not sure about that. I do know that he probably got cut in line by a bunch of Russians because they just pushed their way to the front. Because of Russia, yeah. Uh, I mean, a hundred plus people. I mean, it was three long hours of weighing people Jesus. in. They're just it just never ended, and I had no one to help me with weigh-ins. Wow. I would say sixty to seventy percent of the lifters still needed to pay. None of them spoke. No, I shouldn't say none of them. Many of them did not speak English. Mm-hmm. They all wanted a receipt. They all were paying cash. Um, did they at least have American? At least have American currency? Oh, they did have. They did. They all had dollars. That they all had. They at all had. They, had they all had greenbacks. Um, 
I remember, I think it was Marosher started to walk into the room. And I said, I'm going to let you take three at a time. <laughs> because I was like, I had a system. Finally, I, I finally developed a system where one guy would be weighing in, getting undressed while I was checking another guy, and a third guy would just be there being ready. Mm-hmm. I eventually had a medium system going. Wow. And I was trying to have them say their names. I got this system where I just started saying, passport, because they all know what that means. Yes. So I was able to do that. But I mean... Thousands of dollars in cash, and I'm writing receipts. Jeez. I could have stole a lot from Karen Kidder and Amy Jackson that day if I would have wanted to. Um, that was just, and, and it was same thing. Russians were in line just getting undressed. They were just out in the hallway <laughs> naked, and I was like, no, 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 no. Like, you need to come in here with your passport and money. Like, yeah, you can't just come up here naked and stand on the scale. I have to check in first. But they have passport money. You would tell us for that, <laughs> right? That's what a cool thing. So, same meat. Uh, a guy from Egypt was. We'll say minimally two kilos to three kilos over his weight class. Okay. And I was also running the afternoon weigh-in. So he didn't make weight. He was still over. And they said, when can we come back? I said, three o'clock, because I'm fucking exhausted. <laughs> I went and lay down or something. Uh, came back at three o'clock. He'd been running down the hallway since 9 a.m. Jesus. So hours of not eating nothing. And he was still a kilo over, 1.0 kilo over. Wow. He spoke no English. His coach handler... Mm-hmm whatever, you know, said, he's traveled this far from Egypt. You know, can't you just let him lift? Yes, he can lift. He just can't lift at the weight class that he wants to be in. Like, you're the head of Egypt. Put him whatever weight class you want. But I can't put him in that weight class when he's a kilo over. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Interesting. Probably many other stories, but those are some of my favorites. (laughs) We had an anonymous question. Uh, I can take this one. Sure. How can someone get help feeling more a part of a team when social interactions are difficult and the feeling that they are bothering everyone? That is a great and very layered question. Sure. And I would say part of this, not all, but part of this is on the team. A team atmosphere, again, depending on the, the team you and the people you have, Invariably, there always there is going to be a leader on that team, whether it is a coach, whether it is the best lifter, whether it is just that one personality that is the lifter. I would say it is partially on them that if folks are, you know, gravitating towards the group, how to partially manage that. It's not one hundred percent on them. You're not getting paid for this. You're not. This isn't your job. But if you're truly building a team and that's your plan, that's partially on that leader and or that group of leaders. Make sense? Sure. For the individual who maybe doesn't feel like that, I would say find the person you're most comfortable with on the team because you're going to have varying levels with everybody. And either tell them personally, like, hey, I, I want to be more part. I want to get help from the team. I just don't know how to ask. Get some input from them. Get that validation. Again, there may be a, a confidence thing going on. Well, hey, what better way to boost your confidence than talking to somebody and getting the okay basically to ask for the things you need? And I would say, generally speaking, in a powerlifting environment, the folks on the, in those groups are very willing to help. It's not necessarily a bother. And if you feel that you're bothering people, ask, is this getting in the way of your workout? At some point, even if social interaction is awkward, because here's the thing, what we do is generally uncomfortable. It's not the most comfortable thing in the world to have four, five, six, seven hundred plus pounds on your back, right? Nope. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's how you get better. That's my take on it. So my take would be to 
start to engage yourself mm -hmm. and be present. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked about earlier, spot, load, engage, mm -hmm. uh, show up when the team trains. Spot, load. <laughs> show up, you know, early when the team trains. And, you know, that's the, to me, that's one of the biggest things is sometimes I think people, they want to train with a team, but it's like they kind of show up in the middle of the workout and it's hard to get somebody into it. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe they're doing the opposite lift of what everyone else is doing, which is okay. Yeah. Uh, but you're just not going to feel as much a part of it if you're not engaged with them. Mm -hmm. So I guess my, my advice would be to show up and be engaged, spot, load, you know, include yourself in the order and consistently show up. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Because if people, if you only show up once in a while, it's hard for anybody to, to you know, really attach themselves to you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the old Team Stone, it was just a team. There was no gym. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, I got to where, you know, I really didn't pay attention to someone who showed up one time. Mm -hmm. And people say, don't you want to coach him? Eh, eh not really. Yeah, not really. <laughs> I mean, let him show up for a couple of weeks. Let him show that they're worth my mental effort. And not that my mental effort is so valuable, but, you know, if someone's only going to show up one time. Let me stop you right there. <laughs> yes, it is. And, and that plays into a couple of the questions that we've gotten so far. Your mental effort that you put into the sport, that's you personally, Eric, and then the other people that are asking these questions that are out on the floor right now that are going to be on the platform in a few weeks, it is valuable. It's incredibly valuable. Never discount that. Anyway, sorry for interrupting. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fitness consultant Bain will, <laughs> will show me how to have value. Yeah, I'll, I'll teach you how to have value. Just uh, go ahead and PayPal me 1995. Sure, per week. Um, so I guess that would be my advice is just to, to be present and, uh, you know, I guess going back to my stories, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily put too much effort in somebody if they only showed up once or twice mm -hmm. and just maxed out with less than Jackie's max back in the day. Um, the Jackie's <laughs> discussing yesterday. Right. I mean, I would just, I would see if somebody is actually going to show up for a few weeks mm -hmm. and if they seemed like they were and they were engaged with the team and would spot and load, then it's like, all right. I'll put some effort towards them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's the same with team members, especially the ones here who are not like me financially benefiting from, you know, memberships and training mm -hmm. and programming. So they're not going to put mental effort into you if you're not there helping them spot load. Right. And that's not to say it's a, you know, a, a, a Ukrainian quid pro crow or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that would be my advice is if you want to be a part of the team, then make sure you come to, uh, you know, whenever that team trains or those team workouts and try to be as consistent as you can be is probably the best advice I could give. It's good advice. Last one. No, last it's, one. it's not the last one. No. It's the last one on here. Oh, jeepers. Here we go. Hawk, Chris Hockemeyer, what have you done to maintain strength while taking a break from powerlifting? Uh, well, I really haven't taken a break in the last six and a half years, so I guess I may not be the most qualified, but during the quote-unquote off-season – I do everything I can to make training fun again. Uh, that That is one of the things that I think, you know, if you're in the, the kind of cycle of doing, you know, meets consistently, you know, two, three, sometimes four meets a year, to your point, you're going to burn out eventually. You know, that, that's not going to be a, a recipe for longevity. But training becomes a chore. It's not as much fun. So, you know, in those times when I'm not gearing up for a meet, I try to make training fun. That's just me. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it is I try to change my focus. 
Okay. When I, and, and I've never really took a true break from training, so that's part of it. Even if you're taking a break from powerlifting, I recommend, if you can, continue to train. Like Bain said, maybe change up what you're doing. Maybe do some bodybuilding. Uh, maybe Strong do, man. Maybe do some you know circuit training type stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I always have to be goal-oriented, so I, you know, I'll change my focus for... Sometimes it's been for a year. It's been to rehab, or it's six months to focus on something specific. Mm-hmm. But... When I haven't been training for a meet or actively powerlifting, it's, you know, you do need to change your training up. It can't be the same all the time. Uh, there's some, you know, I've talked about this with, uh, you know, someone, one of my clients was asking me about how I come up with programming. And I said, well, I mean, to be honest with you, you know, with some assistance exercises, there's some novelty there. And that's not to say it's negative. Like, I'm not trying to make training, you know, training different just to be different but mm-hmm. to some degree Make like great again <laughs> but you do need to have some novel exercises just so there's a different stimulus on your muscle and just so that lifters and people that are working out can stay interested if you if you just to me and this is why i don't know that you're going to see the high frequency high volume crowd stick around that long because if all you're doing is squatting benching and deadlifting three times a week i'm sorry and maybe you could just be a robot. That's going to get boring after a while. Mm-hmm. I, I doubt there's too many people out there, and there's some, mm-hmm. the majority know, that are going to train and compete as long as I have, 20-plus years, mm-hmm. and I'm only 37, so I could, Do the math. Ver- I could very easily train and compete another 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to, but I don't think you're going to squat, bench, deadlift three times a week and continue to train and compete for like I plausibly will by someday 40 years. I think there needs to be some changing up of your training. That's why I'm doing a conjugate type program. It's for somewhat just for novelty and to try something different and to experiment so I could use it with other people. Yeah. (laughs) Muscle confusion. (laughs) Science. Data. So, yeah, that would be my my advice to the Hockenmeyer. Hock. And also come back to APF meets. That would be my other advice for Hockenmeyer. Quit doing all these other bullshit meets. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> so, Eric from Willowbrook. Oh boy, would like to ask Bane. Bane. Yeah. When are you going to squat seven hundred under meat? I'm going to fucking press you through this goddamn table. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to waste to ask this one <laughs> the whole goddamn two hours, Bane. So, <sighs> do you have a date in mind? I do. June thirteenth, twenty twenty. And uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Is that going to be your second or third attempt? Opener. Open. You're going to open with 705? 320. That's the plan. Wow. Wow. We've got breaking news here, folks. Bain is going to open with over 700. Depending on how the rest of training goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It might be a little early to set an opener. Um, it, My advice, Bain... As Make- much as everyone is giving me shit, and rightfully so, because it is a number I've been chasing for a while, and I've made a big deal out of it for a reason, because I also want the accountability from other people. You know, not hitting that number is something that, it, that does frustrate the hell out of me. My advice, open with something maybe a little bit lighter. Go to seven-something on your second attempt. That's my advice. You know, It's done, more like what we're going to do. I've I think, done a few I meets. think we, we did actually talk about probably opening it like either... Is there a sim- mouse in your pocket? Hmm? You said we... Myself and Sean. Oh, Sean from Parts Unknown. Yes. 
uh, talked about. Which profile do you communicate with on that one? I usually have direct access. Oh, okay. Because when I try to send him a message, it's like, I don't know which Sean profile to use. Just use at the Heartbreak Kid. Way easier. Oh, is that on the gram? Yeah. Okay. So he's bigger on the gram than the book? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Do you think Sean listens to this podcast? Sean, do you listen to this podcast? Cannot confirm or deny. Okay. Okay. Well. But you know, the, the plan is we'll probably open at like 673 or 683 and, or 674 okay. or 683, whatever it's going to be. And something like that. But, yes, that, that is uh, – I, I anticipate getting that question almost every week. Not, either, not necessarily from you, but from somebody else. I mean, you're it the one rotates. that put it out there that I you did. watch the same squat video every freaking day. I watch it twice a day. Which is uh, maybe just, just on one or either side of the line of insanity. Maybe. But given what we do, that's kind of the line you got to tell. Okay, I got one last one. Oh, boy, here we go. Eric from Willowbrook yeah. would like to know, can you tell me more about the Michael Jordan conspiracy theory? <laughs> <laughs> what, what more would you like to know? We did kind of touch Just, on this a little j- bit. We, assume I, well, okay, so, okay, so, let, so let's, let's, let, uh, let me set the stage here. Because some people don't listen to all of our episodes, yeah. So, which why the hell not? Well, you know, it's we some. I think some people just like certain titles, like the women rise of women powerlifting got great listens. The response to Rip probably got other people that don't subscribe mm-hmm. to listen to it. So let me set the stage. Michael Jordan in 1993 mm-hmm. retired from basketball very after, suddenly after winning three championships and at the. I guess it's not the award ceremony, but like at the the pep rally. After the championship, seemingly, you know, to indicate that he would be back next year. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I believe his dad was murdered, correct? Yes. I think that was after the championship occurred, correct? It was in, yeah, almost positive it was in between the championship and the retirement. Okay, I believe so. We, he, it could have di- he could have died some other point. We, we can look at the timeline later, but yeah. His so dad it's... definitely was murdered before he retired. That yes. we know for sure. Yes, 100%. And it seemed like Jordan was going to come back. The team was seemingly going to stay the same. Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, they were all under contract. Um, and actually, the 1994 Bulls were actually pretty darn good, They're even decent. without Jordan. Yeah. I mean, they made it. Gosh, I, I, I'm still angered by the lack of call on Game 7 versus the Knicks. That's a whole other story, though. <laughs> um, but Jordan suddenly retired. And there is some conspiracy theories out there, mm-hmm. popularized by Bain and others, that Michael Jordan was forced to retire. There was an arrangement. Okay, so describe this arrangement slash conspiracy theory. Sure. So the conspiracy theory is the arrangement that was made was when it was discovered that not only was Jordan gambling on basketball, he was gambling on the Bulls, and he was in violation of part of the NBA's bylaws for players. So was he gambling on the Bulls to win or lose? He was just gambling on the Bulls. They do not have a stipulation whether you do win or lose. Because Pete Rose has been banned from baseball. Mm -hmm. Supposedly he bet on the Reds, but he was always betting on them to win. Correct. As opposed to probably the more nefarious would be betting on your team to lose and then throwing the game. Purposely throwing the game. Or betting the the other one that was postulated was that he was betting on the spread and there were certain games that the Bulls should have blown them out and they were really close or where, you know, Jordan just took over and all of a sudden he dropped 63 points and uh, you know they bl- win the blowout. So okay, there there was some talk about that too. There is rumors, and again I say rumors because I was not there. That there was a bookie that was found with a check signed by Michael Jordan, 
dead in a alley in downtown Chicago. Uh, I first heard this theory years ago. My dad and I were uh, baseball card and sports memorabilia dealer dealers, and I thought it was bullshit. I've now known multiple people around the Bulls organization that have discussed that it wasn't that when it was found out that Jordan was doing this, that he had multiple mistresses all over the NBA, and there was a lot. Well, that I believe. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on with that. There were maybe some things that got swept under the rug with his behavior. Again, not 100%, but the gambling was the I believe one. that. I would venture to say. Uh, so... Okay, so the timeline is he's told after the season, yep, you need to retire. And he's told he needs to retire. He he is told they have to discipline him. And so the theory that I've heard there's two there's two main ones is that his agent actually proposed a pseudo retirement. Okay. And basically they set up the timeline and it was fairly similar to what we ended up seeing happen. The other one was David Stern proposed it. Okay, and said, NBA commissioner, for those of you that don't follow basketball. Yep, and the reason being is because there was a general consensus that this will material impact every single team and the league itself to the point that it could, you know... Pull the league apart. Pull the league apart. Because Jordan, I mean, for those of you that don't have a concept uh, who are maybe a little bit younger, mm-hmm. I mean, Jordan was as big of a star, not just sports star, as big of a star as you can plausibly imagine in the 90s. I mean, he was everywhere. He was more recognized than the Pope and was put in the same league as far as recognition as Jesus Christ himself. I mean, he was in commercials. He was, you know, he was on Wheaties boxes. Republicans buy shoes too. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, he was as big of a star as anybody was in the 90s. Of any movie star, of any politician, probably the only person more recognizable in the 90s was Bill Clinton. And in the United States. For, you know, some similar reasons. Uh, cigars, why not? <clears throat> so Jordan uh, basically ends up taking this deal. And, and what really started to crystallize it for me that this, you know, was of a legit possibility is he stayed on Reinsdorf, who, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf owned both the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Bulls, or was part of the, the management group, and stayed on their payroll. Okay. And so he was continuing to get paid his NBA salary as a double-A baseball player. Hmm. And so it was basically it was a services contract, not necessarily a basketball contract. And okay, now here's where it it trips me up is it seemed like if they were to tell him to retire, it would be like you need to retire for X amount of times, and then you're allowed to come back if you'd like. Mm-hmm. But he seemingly came back. Now there's there, it partly could be that he came back because there was the baseball strike at that time, mm-hmm. and he did not want to cross the picket line, Correct. and so he said. Well, now's my opportunity to drop baseball. And did Stern just say, okay, you can come back now, even though it's the middle of the 1994-1995 season? So the talk was that he was supposed to be suspended for two years. Okay, and he was not. He, he was, was not gone for a year months. and yeah, a year and a half-ish. Yeah. And he essentially got like... Uh, not, not a commuted sentence, but basically good, like good behavior. Like he didn't do anything that caught anyone's eye essentially during that time. And maybe the NBA needed a boost in ratings? Pretty much because nobody really liked that the Rockets were winning. Sure. And so then, of course, he comes back. And then, of course, there, there was also the theory that, or the conspiracy that he had to pay a fine every game for the rest of his career because that he played with the Bulls because he wore number 23 and number 23 being retired. 
bullshit, by the way. Okay, yeah, because he did wear 45 for a little yep. bit, and then after Glenn Rice called him out, he Nick came. Anderson. What's that? Nick Anderson. Oh, okay, I thought it was Glenn Rice. Nick Anderson said... 45 is not as good as 23, said, I, I could never have done that to, to 23, but I could always do that to 45. Ooh. The next game, he's got 23 back on. Yeah. So... That, that is kind of how, and again, I, I've heard from multiple levels of individuals within the Bulls organization up to, uh, again, this is a, a couple layers of separation, so I will put that caveat out there, uh, you know, wife of former Bulls coaches. Hmm. And they've said, yeah, the, it's known around the league. Uh, I've had friends who play for the Bears that know people that were within the Bulls organization. Like, yeah, this is like a known thing. A lot of guys wish that that, you know, that was an option. Hmm. So... I'm not going to say I don't believe it, but I'm not. I don't definitely believe it. Maybe that's I, fair. So, any final questions from you, Mr. Bain, or any final thoughts on our AUA? When are you going to bench five hundred one, man? Well, the the goal is uh, in September, plausibly in Ireland. Now, perhaps I will make a, a run at it in April, or I'm sorry, June yeah, in June. Baton Rouge, not April. I will not be competing in April. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the goal. I don't watch my bench video. I, you know, what's interesting, Bane is I don't hardly ever watch my own training videos. I watch them when I do them, but I guess I'm not as much of a video watcher of my lifts. Um, when I've videoed my lifts, I do it, but, uh, I don't know. Not, uh, not watching every day, not watching every day. Oh, so weird. Any other final thoughts, Mr. Bain? That's, that's on, all I, I like this. I think this we should fun. do this again. We can't do it every week. No. Because um, it would be hard to get questions. But maybe every you know, 15, 20 episodes, we can do another AUA. Yeah, I love it. I, I enjoyed this one. This was fun. So we'll have so, to do it again for sure. Uh, so next week, uh, you and I will be gone at the WPO. We so are. We'll probably record this maybe even the week after next. And yeah. I, if I can, I will maybe try to put a you know compilation episode out uh, next week if I can every single Trump impression I've done yeah that would be very difficult yeah. I needed like and a, a very long episode <laughs> I need a, an intern to go through all of our <laughs> hours of uh, hours of footage yes yes but Bane and I will be gone at the WPO semifinals at the Arnold say hi if you're there and yeah. listen to the uh, listen to the podcast and we don't know you personally yeah. I'd be happy to chat with you uh, but our next ep- our next official episode, Sans Any Compilations, will be uh, kind of our response mm-hmm. and our feedback from what we saw at the WPO semifinals. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a good time. With that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and Anger. <laughs>